live from, from the studio. The studio. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the money, baby. How's it sounding? Sound good. We don't normally Sounds do great. that. Oh, <laughs> sounding great. Sounds great. We're sounding great. I'm Jimmy Seleski. Merrick Laser. Uh, tonight on the cast, we have Jabari Lyles. Woo! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit because uh, we covered this before the show. How did how did you well we didn't cover this before the show actually at all, but I knew you from high school. You were like you were like the president of the class. Oh wait, right? Uh, I was student government president, which is which is like for the whole school. Oh shit, really? Yeah. I didn't know there was a difference. I didn't understand government in high school Each at all. Each class had their own like thing, and then there was a whole school. You were the president of the presidents. I was the president of the presidents. Whoa, that's yeah. sick. But you were also you were involved with the the GSA at, at school, right? I did. I helped start that GSA. Oh, really? Yep. How did you do that? Basically, we got a, you know together with some students and asked the administration, like, hey, we want to have this club. It was me and Alex Ginger. I remember him, yes. And uh, we filled out the paperwork, and we got an advisor. And Who was the, the advisor the back then? Uh, I want to say at that time, maybe Miss West. Oh, Miss West okay. was Ms. awesome. West. I loved Miss West. Yeah, I and loved Miss West. Um, eventually, Mr. Dulcimer took it over. Dude, I played his wedding recently. Oh, amazing! Yeah, 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 dude. I had no clue. He's still the advisor to this. Is day. he really? The That's club sick. is still up and that running. That is sick. Awesome. Some of the kids come to some of our events, so it's cool to like have them come. Yeah. I like how you say some of our events, like it's a small little thing. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a couple of events, <laughs> and, you know, some kids show. Well, it's a bigger. I mean, like I guess what I'm trying to figure out is how did you? Because you came along the line, and now so you graduated high school. Did you go to college at all? I went to Duquesne University for a year in Pittsburgh, um, and then I got kicked out of there. What'd you get kicked, <laughs> what did you get kicked out for? I, I didn't do any of my work. Um, you know, That'll like I didn't go to class. I didn't wake up for eight a.m. Latin. Who um, does? Seriously, right? Real. I went to all my math classes. I was a math major, and so I went to all my math classes because I enjoyed that. I personally think it's bullshit that they make you take gen eds in college. Yeah, I think that's stupid. I think that's ridiculous. But I mean, you want to have like a diverse education. Isn't that what high school's for? You go to high school, you get your education, you go to college, you say, "This is what I want to do." Yeah, you know. I mean, I don't know. Some high school graduates might benefit from an extra English 101 course. Or Latin 101. Who knows? Or Latin. <laughs> yeah. But, um, why were you taking Latin first year of college? Well, foreign language was required, and I had taken Latin in high school. Um, I took French in middle school, and I thought, you know, <laughs> it helps you with words and kind of different. I had some experience with it. So I figured, yeah, Latin, Latin it is. Do you know any at the moment? Like, do you speak Latin? I mean... You didn't show up in any classes. Yeah. So I imagine, I mean, no. I mean, some of it is kind of useful sometimes, you know? Like, no, like the, uh, the word somnambulist. What does that mean? Ooh, so it's a sleepwalker. It comes from the Latin somnus, which means sleep, and ambulare, which means to walk. So we get the word somnambulist. Latin, bam, it lives. <laughs> it lives to this day. So did you ever wind up graduate? Did you ever get a degree or anything? Uh, so I graduated Duquesne, came home. Oh, uh, you did graduate. I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry. I got kicked out of Duquesne. <laughs> okay. out of Duquesne Big difference. Graduated Big difference. or kicked yeah, out. Yeah, Transferred. Yeah. I did my own special graduation um, <laughs> from Duquesne. At a ceremony. Right, right, right. Yeah, the whole drive home from Pittsburgh. Got to meet the dean. <laughs> Just packed up my Jeep and said, peace, Pittsburgh. I guess that was fun for a year. Um, and then I went to CCBC. 
There you go. I got my associates. Where all the champs end yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. Seriously. DC, baby. The best, the best that Towson has to offer. <laughs> so you did. So you, you were going to CCBC, I'm assuming, during the time you were working at Cheesecake Factory? Yep. Yep. Same and then stuff. You said you're teaching at Friends? I currently teach at Friends School during the summer for a, um, it's like a summer learning program called Middle Grade Partnership. Do you need a degree for that? Did you get a degree in teaching? I did not. I, to this day, do not have a degree. Yeah. Damn. I just, I'm yeah. just some dude with a high school us diploma. <laughs> just walking yeah, around yeah. teaching children. Yeah. How, yeah. Did you, how did you come across the, the place you're with now, Glisten? Which it took me a while to figure out how to pronounce yeah. that. First well, you I was did like, that perfect. Yeah. Glisten. I had to watch a couple of YouTube videos to really nail it perfect. down. Perfect. Well, you did some research for this. <laughs> I try, I try, I try. That's amazing. Um, well, I was like 15, and there was an announcement at the good old Towson High School for students to get involved with LGBT stuff. And I said, yeah, sure. So I showed up to the meeting. I met this woman named Kay Halley. She was like an older, you know, civil rights activist. Uh, lesbian, just an amazing spirit. And, um, you know, I just never stopped coming to the meetings, I guess. I just kept going. And she started booking me at schools, you know, doing presentations for young people and training. And I just loved it. And so the rest was history. That was 12 years ago. Wow. I didn't realize that you were doing that the entire time that you were. I was at, yeah, in Towson. And what is your position now there? You're like the, what are you I'm director of the Baltimore chapter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hopefully we become in Glisten, Maryland next year. Okay. So we're called Glisten Baltimore because we're based in Baltimore and we do a lot of work in Baltimore. Um, but really we do work all over the state. Um, so we're going to expand to Glisten, Maryland to offer our services to what, all the schools. What kind of work would you say is done? So, I mean, like the main mission is making sure that school is a safe place for students who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, all those wonderful words. Um, and so we, you know, do a whole bunch of strategies and projects and resources to make sure that that happens. Um, so we train teachers, you know, we give them professional development. We come in and say, this is how you should communicate with LGBT students. Um, these are the things that you should say. These are things you shouldn't say. These are what the words mean. These are the risk factors. Um, and teachers really appreciate that, you know, because we don't really get to talk about LGBT issues very often. That's true. So we do that. Um, We helped to start GSAs at different schools. So it was cool that I started the GSA at Towson, and then my job becomes starting those clubs at schools all over the state. Um, So we help young people, you know, mobilize to make change within their schools and their communities. Um, And we just do, you know, we're just advocates for young LGBT youth in schools and making sure that schools are safe places for them. Awesome. That's sick. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's a perfect job. And we're talking a little bit, uh, before the podcast, you kind of guerrilla warfare. Uh, it was at the the organization, or is it another? Organization? <laughs> I love the guerrilla warfare. <laughs> yeah. So that was a different organization. Um, that was uh, GLCCB, Baltimore's LGBT Community Center. Um, so I started with them like maybe two years ago, um, and I joined their board and recognized they had a lot of issues. Um, so I kind of just took over the organization, became the president, became the executive director, fired people that needed to be fired, re- <laughs> rehired people that needed to be rehired. Um, and now, you know, Baltimore can say it has a community center again. So I wear a couple of like gay hats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's taking, now Baltimore's taken care of so you can expand to Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, know? well, you were involved. Were you involved? I mean, 
I was talking to, you know, Phil Williams, right? Of course, yeah. Phil's my boy. I love him. Um, shout out to Phil. Yeah, shout out Phil Williams, dude. <laughs> shout out. Shout out to that man. What a great guy. But were you, you had some type of, what, what kind of involvement do you have with the uh, Pride Parade this year? Yeah, so Baltimore Pride is put on by the GLCCB, the Community really? Center. So I'm president of the organization that makes Baltimore Pride happen every year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this past year, um, we had an incredible team of volunteers that put it together. Last year, Baltimore Pride 2016, I was the chair of the whole event. So I had to like plan the thing, and that takes a lot. Of stuff what was your uh what was your position this year um well this year i was just president of the organization so i got to oh, walk so around and enjoy it and have you, you know wine and dine yeah you know, <laughs> shake hands and kiss yeah. babies yeah. um yeah so i got to really just walk That's around and, and you said it was the 31st 42nd 42nd yes 42nd so baltimore pride it's been going on for 42, 42 years? years yeah the glccb is a 40-year-old organization well because i know that um Glisten was started in what ninety? Yep, nineteen ninety. Yep. And so the okay, okay. I'm just I'm just starting to piece things together. Definitely. I tried to do all the research I could, but I'm still a little behind yeah, no, on everything. It's perfect. So I I had no clue that the Pride Parade was that ongoing. Definitely. I had no clue. I thought that was a recent thing. Yeah, I mean Baltimore's community center is one of the longest running in the country. Um, so we're right up there with you know San Francisco, L.A., New York. Baltimore was one of the first people who got in the game to make a community center. So it's been around for a really long time. What would you say? Because I was when I was looking around, what would you say that? Um, so the so the, I guess I don't know what to call it. I, I want to say group, but I feel like that's undermining what it is. I want what what would I guess organization mm-hmm. Glisten like the organization. Yeah. What would you say their main because it seems like they're involved with a lot of like legislation. I think these days, yeah, definitely. Glisten has positioned itself to be an organization that um, is a thought leader in education policy around diversity and climate issues. Whereas, you know, maybe climate issues, school climate, you know, okay, like, okay school climate. Yeah. Okay. It's like, okay, <laughs> right, that's, a stretch. Yeah. that's okay. different, right? Hey, you yeah, know, yeah, fuck yeah. it. I mean, we try to play our it needs part. Needs to be talked about, right? Right, for sure. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, like 10 or 15 years ago, that was not a thing, you know, where the U.S. Department of Education would talk to Glisten. But these days, you know, they have a good relationship. Very prevalent. I was looking around and, like, you guys, so, so when I was looking through the website, you guys have, uh, what the hell did I put down here? I was writing some notes. The the nice. Safe Schools Improvement Act, which was, which was passed, or was that passed federally? Or yeah, definitely. Glisten had a lot of involvement in that Safe Schools Improvement Act. It was a really big victory. What was that? What did that entail? Um. Well, I mean, whatever it sounds like, Safe Schools Improvement Act. I think it really a lot of it was about protections for students who typically are maybe marginalized in schools. Um, I don't know the text of the actual legislation, but. A lot of the work that Glisten does for his advocacy is about protection, you know, protection of students of different races, different genders, mm-hmm. different sexual orientations. Um, and so we defer to a lot of the language that already exists mm-hmm. to talk about protection, like Title IX. Yeah. You know, like that's sex discrimination, but a lot of that has been interpreted to include LGBT people too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just want the government to take a stance on making sure that young people are safe. Um, and so I'm sure that act, the Safe School Improvement Act, was all about that. The, the, um, I'm assuming you might, um, I would assume so. But like one of the things that really surprised me was they had these what they call no promo homo laws mm. in in um, certain like they're more prevalent in southern states, right. which I was like really blew me away. But basically, 
like they have these laws saying that you're not allowed to promote like homosexual lifestyle Definitely. during sex edu- sexual education, yep. which is crazy to me. Huge. They had actual laws that said like you cannot like basically you cannot talk about this in a positive light. Right. Which is wild. Yeah. That shit was like, that crazy. That is the law of the land that you may not say positive things about this. And so, I mean, think about the harm that that does to a young person who wants to know how to protect themselves sexually um, in a district where they're only talking about, you know, either no sex, abstinence, or, you know, heterosexual, good old classic missionary sex, where we know that <laughs> people get a lot more, you know, wild than that. Um, and so, yeah, when I go around to, to schools, that might be today one of the number one complaints for students is that they feel underserved by their sexual education in school. Not comprehensive enough. Yeah. I, th- I feel like a lot of uh, school uh, nowadays, at least, I don't know, I felt that way in high school at least. Everyone's still kind of kids, you know, kind of steps on eggshells around stuff and right you know real world issues like will come up and then like i kind of saw that like when 9-11 happened Mm -hmm. like i was in elementary school still but like just the way kind of like i don't know kids got super super extra special treatment that day yeah it's like no i kind of i see everything that's going on like this is kind of crazy right why are you kind of downplaying this for me this is kind of a weird thing Right, we got to be more real with our youth. Um, and in this context, I mean, young people know themselves, right? They know their identity. They know what they feel. They know what they see. Um, and we just have to listen to them more um, because you're right. You know, there's a lo- there's realism in the world that young people need to be able to handle. Yeah. Um, and so we, we make them sort of skittish people around sex by treating it like that in school. And that doesn't set them up for approaching sex in a mature, confident, healthy way. I agree. I always just wonder, like, I mean, look, I grew up, obviously, I'm a heterosexual guy. And obviously. 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 <laughs> Case couldn't tell. Right. Totally straight. It's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Super clear. <laughs> but I, I, I always imagine what it might be like to kind of come up in an educational system that doesn't acknowledge, um, I mean... Well, here, here's the conflict, I guess. I kind of, when I when I grew up, and I guess it's because I came up in a more traditional sense manner where, where you know, being heterosexual is quote-unquote norm. And so I, I guess I kind of received some of my education from school, but the majority of education I received about sex and things like that was from my upbringing. You yeah. know, like it wasn't parents and stuff. Yeah, exactly. It right. wasn't. It wasn't. I didn't depend too much on the educational system to do that. But I imagine if you're coming up um, from a place where maybe your parents don't agree with that kind of lifestyle, right. or let's say you're you're gay, but your parents don't agree with that kind of thing. Like, where do you go to kind of even feel like that's okay to right. be that way? You know what I'm saying? Right. You got to find a community. Um, I think that the LGBT community has really relied on that sense of community to get by and survive for a really long time. So whether we create those communities in schools with those GSAs or creating them at community centers, you know, where students can go outside of school and have a place in their city to go to, they have to know that there is a place for them to count on. And honestly, these days, the Internet um, kind of plays a huge role in that. You oh, know? absolutely. Like the kids today, are they have access to a network that you know, young gay, lesbian, trans folks 20, 30 years ago didn't have. Oh, that's, that's true. true. 
I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, even just like if you singled it down to like a single site like YouTube, like there's so many different like personalities on that website Definitely. that you could watch and listen to and talk like hear them talk about with other, you know, dignitaries in that culture. Yeah, and idolize. I mean, another part of Glisten's work is making sure that the education that young people receive is inclusive, right? So that we learn positive representations of LGBT people. Um, you know, Sally Ride, first woman in space, lesbian. Really? You know, yeah. Did not know. Alan that. Turing, father of computer science, gay man. Yeah. Um, so these are like huge advancements that are made by LGBT people, but intentionally left out of history books. Um, and when you think about those no promo homo laws, this plays right into that. So it's not even just health class. It's like your history class. Um, so when young people can regularly learn about the accomplishments and, um, you know, contributions of LGBT people, maybe they'll think about it a little bit different, you know, um, know that we exist and we are actually really cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I guess... I guess a lot of the, the, I don't know what the word would be, resistance against that is people are sending their kids to schools and they, I guess based off of their own belief systems, mm -hmm. they're thinking that, well, you know, I'm paying taxes and if I'm sending my kid to this school, I want him to learn about what I want him to learn about, which is conflicting because then you're dealing with people's kind of I don't want to say religious because it's not always religious, right. but it is a certain form of ideology that isn't based in what I would necessarily call logic. Yeah, I mean, for us, the approach for it is it's logical to expect young people to learn to accept and respect all people. And school is a perfect place where young people learn, you know, values, character, education, in such a way where they meet people of diverse backgrounds and be able to at least respect them. Um, and so, you know, I always say during trainings, my goal is never to change anyone's religious beliefs. I mean, that is your religious beliefs, that's fine. But what I do wanna do is help you create a space where people feel safe and accepted. Um, and I think that that's like not too much to ask. Oh, absolutely So, um, you know, for parents who, cause we do have parents who say stuff like that, you know, like my kids shouldn't be learning this in school. This yeah. isn't a part of good old, you know, read and write and rhythmic. Um, but we encourage them to understand that this is really just about making sure that people feel safe um, and have an equal access to a good education. What are your thoughts on, so, in terms of public school, absolutely. Absolutely, because I feel right. like, well, but for instance, you teach at Friends, correct? Which is a private school. Summer, yep. Which mm -hmm. is a private school. Yep. And if if the parents that send their Whoa. kids to Friends, oh yeah, 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 oh, that's that's shit. the one. Uh, yeah, I just got the <laughs> same. Sorry. I've seen that happen to all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> high life. It's always coming at you. Right. It's right, the champagne of beer. Yes, it is. <laughs> champagne of bottles. Beer. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm cooled off. <laughs> yeah. there always seems to be and it's kind of hypocritical because the same people who raise the moral arguments of well you shouldn't be able to go into my school and teach my kids things that I don't morally agree with seems to be raised on the side of like well you know if I okay so if I send my kid to public school then and if I disagree with these things then I shouldn't 
I shouldn't have to worry about my kid learning about things that I don't necessarily agree with. But at the same time, it's like, this is a public institution. Yeah. We're going to teach your kids about objective facts. Right. You know, we're going to teach your kids about things that actually exist. You can, and, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people lose about the home life is, I don't know about you. Again, I'll, I'll re-say that I think a lot, most of the fucking, most of the values that I learned were from my upbringing right. and my family life. I relied very little on, so like a private institution like Friends, where I, I would assume that, I mean, what, what subject do you teach at Friends? Math. Math, okay. So very devoid of anything like that. Um, I mean, the content itself, yes, but I yeah. think that my approach to teaching is always like, social justice is threaded throughout you know everything that I teach about, so... I always say that I teach like five six math and like one six just like social justice. So we talk about these issues in math class regularly. We talk about, you know, race and gender and class and society. Um, and I think that you know there are opportunities in math where you can include that. You know, yeah. graphs. For and sure. also, if you're just like a good teacher, you'll develop a relationship with the students and right. be able to talk to them about that individually too. Definitely, definitely. And I mean, I'm really lucky to be able to work at a school. You know, when I'm not teaching at Friends, I just finished teaching at um, Hampstead Hill Academy in Baltimore City, um, and feeling really lucky to be just like out as a gay teacher um, yeah. is something yeah. that I know teachers. Years ago, Did you, would um, never have. Go to the, the. It was at the Hippodrome a few weeks ago. It was like the, uh, teacher awards. I forget the exact name. Ah, this is no, terrible. That sounds cool. It was very. It was a great ceremony. I was there shooting, uh, <laughs> like video for the actual event. Right. But um, but it was it was cool. They every year they honor like five Baltimore City principals that are kind of like oh cool pushing forward and like really doing something for their school um and it's it was it was a cool event right you should you should try yeah to i want to be invited time. to the teacher awards yeah dude yes. i feel like you might got a shot yeah, have hopefully. you received now now friends being a private institution they're like what they're quaker right? quaker friends yep. is i don't even know it the only thing i think about with quaker is like the oatmeal box <laughs> i don't fucking know i think a lot of us <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> quaker does he just look like the he looks like a quaker <laughs> he looks like, if he wasn't yeah. a quaker he should have considered it <laughs> But do you do you re, do you get any backlash? Like, are there? I guess what my question is: Do you receive when you intertwine that kind of social justice uh, material into your curriculum? Do you receive any backlash from parents opposing that? At Friends, no. Um, I think Friends the the community is very progressive. The religion of being a Quaker is not a religion that is um, you know against homosexuality mm. it's actually a really nice religion it's basically just do good live simply and to be a good person um and that's all quakerism is about so because of that it's not like um religiously affiliated and so a lot of their values are all about respecting people and creating space so friends is an environment where like that's not a thing in fact i taught lgbt 101 this week with my students with like four oh, so sixth graders they actually have a class for that well during the summer program, I teach math, but we can also teach an elective. Um, and so every year I choose to teach a different elective just on like some cool s subject that like I know about but maybe would want to teach one time. Like last year I did chemistry. Oh, First cool. year I did computer science. 
Um, so this year I'm doing like LGBT gender studies, media studies stuff. Um, and I had, you know, sixth graders talking about LGBT history, terminology. We did a timeline, you know, we watched some videos and it was wild to think that like, wow, like here we are, you know, and maybe there are some parents who are against it, but friends is an environment where, um, you know, those types of things are welcome. Are, um, are like sixth graders super like smart now? I feel like <laughs> when I was a sixth grader, I was like a complete idiot. But like every kid growing up now has had like a laptop it's or like an iPad or something. Really and just been ingesting like language and like whatever through video. Yep. So I feel like they must be just whiz kids. Oh, uh, the vocabulary, you know, like the the cadence in which you talk to them is definitely very interesting and me i'm a middle school teacher i love middle school you know a lot of teachers hate that age um i hated that age yeah (laughs) a lot of adults hate that age you you think about it it was a really awkward time um but you know sixth through eighth graders they are a special type of young human and you know when you get on their level and you vibe with how they communicate um you know it makes you feel kind of hip I suppose. I sound, like, is that I sound a, like an old person using that word. Is that a <laughs> K through 12 school friends? Uh, friends is, yeah, all the way. K yep, okay. K through 12. And Hampstead Hill is pre-K through 8. Okay. So have you yeah. taught like the lower, like the 1 through 5? I have. Okay. Um, a couple years ago, I was a resource teacher. I taught health. Um, the class was called Essential Life Skills, but it was really okay. just like a health class. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I taught pre-K through 8th grade. So I got experience oh, with... Wow every single grade and that was super rewarding um and then i used to teach jewish preschool okay, <laughs> okay. yeah are um, you jewish yourself i i, I live i'm from pikesville so <laughs> close I, enough close i'm enough. jewish by association okay. well, so, yeah jewish by association um i mean it's a big part of my upbringing and i love you know the jewish culture and teaching in that school was cool so i've really been able to like teach so many different grades yeah that's um cool. and it's really it's really nice that's crazy that's like You've lived like such a crazy life in such like a short amount of time. Yeah, I'm, yeah, like, it's very jealous it of that. I appreciate that. I mean, I've had a lot of really cool experiences, and I yeah. think I've just like fully immersed myself in like whatever I can get involved with, and all the work that I do, I love. You know, yeah. like when I'm in the classroom, I love it. When I'm doing LGBT work, I love it. Um, so, I mean, that's a blessing also to be able to like do shit that you love. That's yeah, great. that's what everyone tells you. Right, do that's what they say. Yeah, they were right, I guess. <laughs> That's cool. Everyone else is drinking beer, so I'll keep the silence. Yeah, we just took a little sip. Light up another fog. (laughs) Care for a fog? I'd love one. Absolutely. These are Newports, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I'll never turn down a Newport. Come on. (laughs) So we talked a a little bit about it before the podcast, but um, I was asking you earlier, like, since you did, you were involved with, like, carrying the torch of pride this year like without you and your team the last two years like pride wouldn't have happened which is crazy wouldn't have in been itself a thing, yeah. but uh i was asking you earlier like the proudest like i can't believe that happened mm. moment and uh so yeah it was a, a long story but i think we have the time no for sure <laughs> um and i really love that you asked that question because like i remember having that moment um, we had Big Frida for Pride this year. 
Um, and, you know, I guess Big Frida's the type of artist, like, if you know her, you know her. But if you don't know her, you're like, who the hell is Big Frida? <laughs> That's me. I'm like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I see it all over your face, Jimmy. Jimmy's like, ooh. Jake the classic yeah. Baltimore. Should I admit like, it? Big Frida? Should I admit it? It's admitted. It's all good. I just wanted to, you know, call you in. Uh. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Big Frida, she's like a really visible black queer icon right now. Um, she was in a Beyonce song and... I mean, anything that Beyonce touches is royalty. So, I mean, that's one thing. Um, and, you know, she has her own show and her own music. And she was a really big pioneer of this stuff called bounce music in New Orleans, mm-hmm. which is like this cool like cl- club genre. Yeah. And Baltimore Pride and the GLCCB has been an organization that has been, you know, um, judged for its lack of responsiveness to the community. Um, it was seen as a, a racist organization, a transphobic organization for a really long time. Um, and this is a 40-year-old organization. And when I joined the board of directors, I knew that you know this is something that has to change. We're in Baltimore City. They were seen as that? The GLCCB, for sure. Really? Yeah, definitely. What does that stand for? Uh, Gay Lesbian Community Center of Baltimore. But it, the, the long name is Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender Community Center of Baltimore. Why were they seen Maryland. as racist? Um, well, I mean, I think in the beginning it was doing really great work. And around, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s, the GLCCB, much like many gay organizations, became led by white people only and white ideologies and white politics and did not give space for the real needs and desires of people who were most marginalized, which are, of course, people of color and transgender people and youth. Yeah. Um, and in such like, uh, like Baltimore, I'd say, is like probably more black populated than white. It definitely is. Baltimore is anywhere between like 62 to 68 percent black yeah um and so to be in a city where of course the people who are most affected by the systems who are lgbt the people who you know need the most attention to have its community center not focus on them was you know obviously a big problem um so when i heard about you know joining the board a lot of people said don't do it like it's a horrible place you know, it's racist. It'll never be a thing. And this was two years ago. This was in 2015. Wow. Um, and so I joined the board and I was like, guys, like we're sitting here poo-pooing the GLCCB. No one is building it. No one is fixing it. Um, no, it's crazy. I bet the time, like when you joined in to the GLC, like BB. Right. I feel like that's the time when I like we started hearing about pride. Like honestly, nice. no, because, that's true. Because that's true. if I'm thinking about it correctly, like honestly, I didn't know it was a thing until like a couple of years ago. Right. And it's like, and I feel like it's gotten so big at this. Like, I had friends go down. I checked it out a little bit. But like, streets were blocked off. Like, it was right. a crazy thing. It was like almost it's like an art. I mean, it's Maryland's event. biggest LGBT it's event. Yeah, it's huge. It's Maryland's like, biggest event. And for to like that. not even know that's been going on my entire life. That's crazy. That's a problem. I think that really that's indicative of the GLCCB not being able to do its job, right? Proper outreach to the community, letting people know that they were here, we're here to support. Um, And, you know, a lot of their policies and practices were just horrible. I mean, mismanagement of funds, you know, straight up practices where people of color would, you know, not be welcome in the facilities. Um, It was just really, I mean, all types of horrible things. You find these things out as, you know, join the board of directors. Um, my whole thing was let's be honest, right? Let's be honest to the community. Let's say, yes, these things happened and let's change it. Um, 
And so me being a young, I mean, I was like 25 at the time, um, a new nonprofit leader, I just kind of took it over and like grabbed the reins and tried to make the GLCCB into like what it needs to be. Like, and that needs to be a place that in Baltimore City, black people can count on, that transgender people can count on, youth can count on, um, because there are all types of oppressions that affect, you know, the LGBT community. But we see that white folks that are LGBT, a lot of their other positions of power and privilege make them okay in the grand scheme of housing, employment, healthcare. Um, and these are big issues for the LGBT community. So for, for my work, you know, I had to change that to a place that we were actually doing that work. Um, and so, yeah, that organization was about to crumble. And then I joined, I fired a bunch of folks, hired a bunch of folks. Um, we just, you know, we moved into a new building. There's an incredible staff of like eight that does great work. Um, and it's where is like it? A, um, where is it located? Just uh, so it's out there. Twenty fifth and Charles, so like okay. right in the beginning of like entering Charles Village ish. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's in a great location, and it's really a beautiful kind of success story that That's we're ha- that we're seeing in Baltimore. Yeah. yeah. And um, to kind of lead you back to the the question, like uh, you were saying earlier, just being at Pride oh, the proud seeing, moment. Yeah. yeah, seeing Big Frida on stage and seeing, you know, hundreds of people lined up on Charles Street, you know, seated, you know, everyone shaking their ass, drinking beers, you know, young black people are dancing and feeling, you know, Baltimore pride and having an entertainer that felt distinctly like Baltimore, that felt for the community. Uh, we moved the whole parade and festival to Station North. Um, which is, you know, more of a, a community that feels more welcoming to a lot of black folks than sure. Mount Vernon. Um, so it was just beautiful. And that was the proud moment is just being there and watching all that and saying, you know, good job. You know, that we made yeah. this happen. It was great. That's awesome. That's just like, that's such a crazy <clears throat> task to kind of undertake. And then just like, oh, gosh, I can plan anything. <laughs> I can plan anything now after putting that together. I mean, think about all the pieces, the parade, the vendors, the entertainers. The, the city, the fire, the police, the music, the food, the alcohol. All the permits. All, all the that. permits, the outreach, the communication. I mean, it's a yeah. huge project. Um, and so to say that, you know, I've been able to, to do that um, is really great. Yeah. I can plan my wedding, you've, you know. You've, you have a, you've built up such... You probably have like three or four pages on your resume. <laughs> These, oh, yeah. I, ha- I have Student a CV body now. President. <laughs> <laughs> it's a CV. Yeah. <laughs> still, a still no degree though. There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been like eight presidents. I think you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of good experience. Yeah. A lot of good experience. I still got work to do. Yeah. You're still, like I was telling you earlier, it's like you hit like a checkpoint and you're able to like kind of see it and appreciate it. But right. then you're just like, oh, this is. Now I can like this is now the jumping off point for the next thing. Right, like I got to undertake something even bigger now. Definitely, definitely, planning my next move. Yeah. Oh, any any podcast exclusive? Podcast exclusive. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, I I think I want my next job to be some type of diversity leader for a school system. Um, I think that my work has positioned me well to be able to influence like large systems and help them with their diversity work, whether that be through curriculum, admissions, hiring, finances, um, but being able to examine the functions of an organization through a diversity lens, that's what I think my next job will be. But I've been doing Glisten for 12 years, love it, you know, and I think I'm ready to eventually in maybe a year or two pass that on and move on to that. 
Spread your wings. Let yeah. Else, Let's uh, see. <laughs> I should find you. You mentioned earlier that there was a certain so like I, I I'm gonna fuck up this acronym like I always do the GLCCB. Very good. Get, very good. Was that it? That was it. Hell that yeah. Was spot on. So you felt as if a certain amount of it. I'm gonna use the word hijacked. Was 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 kind of taken to mean something else and it's later. Do you feel like there's any element of the movement in general that has, is still kind of hijacked that isn't true to what the original movement is supposed to be about? Mm. I mean, if the biggest yes, you know. Like, <laughs> that was a great question. And um, so much of the movement is still hijacked. I mean, so much of our society is still, you know, led and steeped in a way that doesn't consider all voices. And of course, if that permeates, you know, all of society, it's gonna get inside of the LGBT community too. And so, you know, the LGBT community, which is supposed to be about equity and justice, there's still so many isms that occur within that community. I mean, racism is huge in the LGBT community, ageism, sexism, I mean, all of that stuff. Um, and so I think that it's important to criticize and hold accountable large LGBT organizations like the HRC, like GLSEN, like Trevor Project, um, to not, you know, co-opt and appropriate and benefit from the struggles of black LGBT folks um, and, and lead their organizations in such a way where they're doing real change. Um, so, you know, my culture at the GLCCB is we have to center our efforts on people who are most vulnerable. That just makes sense to do the, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Um, and I think that a lot of the movement is still hijacked by kind of what white folks want to do. I mean, look at marriage equality. Marriage equality was lauded as a huge success for the LGBT community, but think of all the things that have to be in place for you to be able to consider marriage. You have to have a certain amount of economic stability, um, housing stability. You have to be able to find love and pay for a wedding and all of these things. And even though it did show that like, oh, gay people can get married, that's great. Um, that maybe wasn't on the top of the list for a lot of black gay folks on their agenda. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're definitely seeing that um, black folks and trans folks have to play second fiddle to um, what I guess the large LGBT, LGBT movement is going towards. What would be the thing that like could get passed like that you would see as like the a major stepping stone in that direction? Um, well, I think it's going to be a while for black folks to be respected <laughs> at all in anything. But I think that transgender students really have a chance. Um, so I think that some type of sweeping legislation that were to say that trans and gender nonconforming students um, are able to use the restrooms, and not even just students, but transgender people, you know, um, can't be discriminated against for their gender identity. We still have states where you can be fired, you know, just for being LGBT. So having some sort of sweeping legislation, some anti or non-discrimination um, law that protects transgender people, I think, has a real shot. Um, you know, it being passed, and so I would like to see that. I think a lot of the opposition, and I, again, I, I, it's it's really it's really intriguing to talk to you about this because, I mean, I just you know these conversations. I mean, people people kind of get caught in their own little social circles, and they just kind of, you know, that's just the yeah. way they think Echo about chambers. Things, you know what I'm saying? I think it is intriguing that. You mentioned, I think that a lot of the opposition you see from, um, you know, whatever, whatever opposing groups you see to the so-called movement 
are from are people opposing the legislation of those who aren't necessarily representing the the ideals of the group if that makes any sense mm. so like so like you see how can i make this make sense let's find out <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned live podcast <laughs> sips beer so yeah yeah good point good point i'll take a sip i'll take a sip yeah. for this one. let's all take a sip mm -hmm. there's obviously a large um i mean it's it's a hot button issue it's yeah. a hot button topic, particularly the the transgender issue. For sure. Particularly, I mean, I mean the 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 gay marriage issue. I wouldn't say it's been, but but like the gay the gay marriage issue is pretty much. I mean, it's it's a federal law at this point, right? Yeah. Like you you have a lot of the people. I would say that the the majority of opposition you see from people who are opposed to any type of progress that you make. They're opposed to it because of the sentiments that are voiced by people that aren't necessarily representative of what people like you are talking about. Mm. And I think that goes for both sides. I think there's, you know, there's kind of a misrepresentation on both sides. Mm. You know, so you have people that, um, for instance, there was a, a very popular bill or a very widely infamous bill passed in Canada about like the whole, it was like Bill C-16 about the whole, like, it made it illegal to address people by, you know, anything other than the pronoun they associated oh, yeah. by. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. That yeah. was a big hot button issue. Sure. And I was wondering, is that is that something that you personally feel convicted about, or is that something that you think isn't quite getting the point of what this is all about? Um, I mean, yes. I think that it is getting to the point of what it's all about will having a law that respects people's pronouns fix all the discrimination that transgender people face? No. Um, but is a step in the right direction? Sure. Um, I believe that, you know, when you are required to, and I mean, it's a pity that we have to require it, but when you use the correct pronouns with a transgender person, you effectively see them and recognize them as the person they are. Um, and I, there's nothing more humane than that. And so I think a law like that gets to the the humanity piece of it is that this is a person and we are requiring you to see this person and respect this person so that i can get on board with um and i mean if it ever came to public referendum i'd vote for it um but is it going to stop trans women from being murdered maybe not is it going to stop trans people from not being able to get housing because of you know real estate discrimination or employment discrimination maybe not um but certainly, a, uh, I'll take it. <laughs> I think, and, and that, I guess, I, and it's interesting to see, because I feel like a lot of the argument centers around these kind of moral issues where people receive so much opposition to the idea that their speech should be controlled or anything like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I almost feel like it's, it forces... Like, like listening to you talk right now, listening to you talk, I don't think there's any sensible person that would that would hear the things that you say yeah. and say, no, that's wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Good. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just like, absolutely, of course. Right. Of course. But in my opinion, from my perspective, right. I see these things as kind of, I use the word again, It's it, it, I feel like the... 
it gets hijacked to a point where it causes opposition. Mm. Where people, because for the longest time, for the longest time, even though we say we're a country that isn't like, like separation of church and state, law should have nothing to do with your morality, with your religious beliefs or anything like that. That, but people, but, but naturally, because humans are humans, they're perfectly, they're not going to necessarily oppose something that aligns with their beliefs. Mm -hmm. So if somebody enforces a law that is clearly biased towards one belief system than another, mm -hmm. you're not going to receive too much opposition from the belief system that benefits from it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Of course. And so you see a large amount of people that now when they're faced with these type of laws like that where it's actually a, a legislated position right. it's a, you can't call somebody this you can't call somebody that it forces this kind of polarization where it's like well no now you know i was all for it until you told me <laughs> that that now i can't fucking you know say this or that the other thing because that right. just goes against my freedom of expression yeah. but in reality i guess what they're not realizing is well the laws up to this point have been completely benefiting your freedom of expression at the expense True. of others, right. and and but then the, the opposing argument to that is well, is the is the is the solution to that to just swing it equally the other way, mm -hmm. or is it to meet somewhere on a middle ground? If that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, I th I would hazard to say that using the correct pronoun when you're speaking to someone wouldn't be indicative of a super, you know polarizing switch to the other side absolutely not but yeah. i think it, it sort of like moves the pendulum a little closer in such a way like i see what you're saying if somebody fundamentally doesn't believe that transgender people are a thing um then why you know by you using the correct pronoun you in some ways acknowledge them as a transgender person mm -hmm. um and of course there's a difference between doing it on accident and like doing it on purpose and i think that's the main point yeah i think what you said is perfect I think that there's there's a definite distinction between, um, I don't know, there's a dif distinction between, in my eyes, from someone who's doing it maliciously, and it's the same thing that goes with bullying in schools. Definitely. You know, there's, there's I mean, I, in my opinion, and a lot of the legislation that's been passed, I mean, bullying in schools is something that should be addressed, obviously. Yeah. I mean, look, I wasn't bullied terribly in school. Like, I was made fun of, but, like, it wasn't, it wasn't hazardous to my life, right. you know? But it, it exists, and and kids and suffer to a lot of. It's abs lives, absolutely. Yeah. It wasn't like physical; it was emotional bullying. <laughs> well, <laughs> you didn't get saying. beat up. But even so, it, I mean, like for me, it was like it was just, I don't know. It doesn't like like I'm coming from a place where kids are bullied for anything, anything, for sure. anything, yeah. anything, and, and I was bullied for my reasons, and other kids are bullied for their reasons, and I mean. One could make the argument that any kind of bullying is hazardous, whether it's for your sexual identity or gender identification or anything. One right. could make, absolutely make the argument. I think what people get caught up in is that once you make it a law, once you make it a law, and I, I get the sense from this conversation that, I mean, like from, from the answer you just gave me, you were saying like, yeah, sure, it's a step in the right direction. I don't get the yeah. sense that you're like entirely like, this needs this needs to be a fucking law because I think that you're kind of on the same page as I am. Like, does this really actually solve any problems at the end of the day? Is this really is this really the thing that we need right now? Is this really like is this the way we solve the issues in the transgender community or the homo or the LGBT community by dictating what you're allowed to say or anything like that? 
And I, I, I do, honestly, as someone who consumes a lot of that side of the coverage of it, right. you know, there, there, there legitimately is, and I, again, I think this is a major flaw in, in, again, the polarization of society, is that there is sense on both sides. There is sense on both sides, and I think that a lot of it gets lost in, well, if you're on this side, then you suck. Right. If you're on that side, then you're a good person or anything like that. And I think that's because the moves that are made are such, I don't know, it's like it, it doesn't appear to me to be the move that needs to be made. And I think that a lot of the opposition could be avoided if people were just say, look, kids need a, a place that they, a kid who's going to public school, especially a child, you know, five through whatever age, they need to be able to feel like they can go to public school and not be marginalized because of their sexual identity or anything like that. Right. And I completely agree with that. Right. And a lot of the opposition kind of falls in the argument. It was like, well, once you're telling, once you're telling me how to conduct myself contrary to my beliefs, mm -hmm. then you're falling on this whole thing where it's like, now, you, now you're marginalizing me. Does that make sense? No, I think that makes sense. And I've, Definitely makes sense, but I guess I come from the the mind that like some beliefs are just wrong, <laughs> and some <laughs> beliefs are just not welcome, and some beliefs lead to just nothing but death, hate, and destruction, and it's those beliefs that we have to vehemently, you know, fight against. And once uh, it's dangerous to get into this whole like liberalism idea of like everyone can do whatever they want have their own beliefs and you know think what think what you think and think what i think and like we'll be happy um that can't be a thing because the world that we live in is not equal and just and we can't trust people to just be able to do that and some beliefs just aren't welcome you know there are some people who believe death and destruction to people who identify with different races religions and I can't have, you know, a respectful conversation with that person and say, well, this is just what you believe, right? That, like, mm -hmm. you think this, people, this person should die, and I should just respect that. Um, I'm going to say, no, your belief is not welcome. <laughs> your belief is wrong, um, and I'm going to fight, you know, to make sure that your belief is not upheld. So I think some, just, some beliefs just aren't a thing. I... I agree with you in a sense, and on the same sense, do you not see how that way of thinking could potentially be dangerous? I think that it would make the people who have those beliefs probably kind of angry. Um, but I think that when we zoom out, those people aren't being affected in the same way. But they could be. How? Once, what I guess what I'm saying is once, once the balance of society is swayed the other way, once one belief system is accepted over another, mm -hmm. then you just have to compose yourself a new oppressed group. The goal here would eventually be to have no oppressed group, right? If that's the ultimate goal of society, that everyone exists equally with the equal freedoms to, to believe what they want to believe yeah. and everything like that. So you could see how if, if, one, if one group, and look, again, I'm coming from this, I'm coming from this a place where I completely agree with you. Yeah. But I'm trying to approach this from a state where it's like, I'm trying to address the sentiments of those who 
may oppose you, and not necessarily because they oppose you, but because because they oppose the principle of what's being done. Yeah. And I think that the I think that the most effective way of of getting what needs to be done done is to address all those people's beliefs, not just one side. Not because I think once once you say, okay, well, look, we've come to a point now where we have decided this is the way you need to think, and if you don't think like this. Mm-hmm you're not welcome in this discussion. Right. Then you've effectively marginalized an entire group of people who, who are not going to feel good about that. And I'm not saying it's because they're good people, right. if that makes any sense. I mean, I think then I would retort like, but have you though, right? Like in order to have this conversation, you have to acknowledge a couple of things as truth. And one of those things is the power structures that exist in our society. Some of those things that are just obvious, that we just know. When we talk about oppression, we talk about there's a group that has some type of societal power and a group that doesn't. And today, I think that we obviously see that people who are male, people who are white, people who are middle, upper class, able-bodied, cisgender, heterosexual, in so many of the world systems have the upper hand. And not only is it an upper hand, it's a strong upper hand. Um, those pe- people are not losing their lives. Um, they're not, not getting jobs. They are able to traverse through society with, um, with no hardship, relatively, right? Because everybody has poverty and sickness and things like that. But on the grand scheme of things, we have to acknowledge that power systems exist. And once you acknowledge that those power systems exist, you understand that once we let the people who are oppressed be heard, there's really no way that the people who have been in power forever won't still be. And I think that there's a lot of nervousness around giving up that power. That in our society, there's no way that, you know, people who are black or trans or gay are ever going to have the same amount of societal power that people that, you know, are white, cisgender, straight will ever have. Um, And I think that those narratives of, you know, let's all be equal. Once you stop listening to me and now listening to you, all we've done is just switch the speaker, right? That we're listening to somebody else. But I don't think that it's really as equal as that. Our society isn't set up equally that way. Um, so there isn't just a, this person is heard, this person isn't. And then once we switch that, the person who is no longer heard has to give up their power. Um, I, don't th- I don't really see that happening. That's very, that was very uh, profound. That was profound. <laughs> Thank I was you. Like, I've just been on like the edge of my seat this entire conversation. Like, I've just been listening. It's good. <laughs> like, it's good. It's been like, this is a very, this is deep. Yeah. No, these are the conversations that need to be had for sure. For sure. Because, I mean, I think any part of having a good conversation is knowing the opposition, right? And I think if you're going to be able to navigate and argue these issues, you have to anticipate with the other side says and thinks and really be able to know that in order to form your own arguments um but you know i guess i guess the main um i don't know the fork in the road between what i'm sensing to be my line of thinking and your line of thinking is i personally believe that The, the example of what comes to mind to me is the example of um, 
you know, when when gay marriage is a big issue, um, which I think has been kind of overshadowed by the transgender movement in a way. Um, because because at, at the end of the day, gay marriage issue kind of won in a way. I mean, it, you could you could say it won. I mean, at a federal level, they won. Obviously, yeah. it may not it may not completely benefit those. They had that whole issue, whole issue of, um, like the what was it the like if a Christian bakery, for instance, oh, yeah. refuse yeah exactly refused to to service for a gay marriage that they could be prosecuted for that or yeah. something like that. I think that's where people then think, well, that now, I, 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 I do, I really do, I do hate to harp on the point because I don't, I mean, but at the same time, this is the point that people harp on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is something that people, that people will focus on because at the end of the day, it really comes down to, at the end of the day, everybody is really just concerned with their ability to be what they want to be. Yeah. Whether you're gay, whether you're straight or anything, everybody just, at the end of the day, all anybody wants is freedom. Everybody just wants to be who they want to be, and yeah. they don't want anybody to infringe upon that. Mm -hmm. So when they see things happening, like, okay, now if... And look, I, I'm not completely... I, I truly believe that, at the end of the day, in a battle of idea, that's the way you win things. I don't think it's by, I don't think it's by legislation. Mm. I don't think that laws change the public sentiment. I truly don't. Mm. I think that it, it's it's a cultural elevation where people people then begin. Okay, the, you start to recognize certain things, and I think that when you get to a point where I think once you start to force those things by law, then you you have in fact created a new oppressed group, and you could certainly make the argument that well, that group could never be oppressed because you know they have the benefit in society. Definitely, for sure. For sure, but they don't necessarily feel that way, right? And so, <laughs> so we can't make decisions based on the fact that people aren't feeling that way, even though it's like the truth. Like that's what's happening. Like the the very definition of oppression is having a group that is in power and being constantly belittled and embattered in a bind of systems. And the people who oppose these laws will never be in that bind by agreeing to these things. Like for example, let's say that there is a, again, the classes in power, the white, straight, upper class man, right? Mm -hmm. Is he gonna be able to be any less of what he wants to be by selling that cake to that gay couple. Well, I don't think it comes down to that. I think it comes down to are you, at the end of the day I don't think anybody should be forced into anything that they don't agree with. Mm. So, so if you are getting married in a homosexual marriage, I don't believe that anybody has the right to impede you from that yeah. at the same time i don't think that anybody has the right to tell somebody who disagrees with that that they have to participate in that if okay. that makes any sense okay i mean yeah. I, I see that but i think that if we were to look at this issue in the lens of let's say other civil rights issues right like whereas the law of the land is that certain restaurants could only have white patrons and let's say that there is a restaurant owner that just doesn't believe that black people should be able to eat well, at his restaurant. Well, let's just make this like a real world scenario. So like if you were having a wedding or like whatever event and like 
it's for the for an LGBT cause, you wouldn't get Chick-fil-A catering because, you know, they're a very religious organization. They don't really accept gay rights and right. stuff. They've had active protests. So it's like I guess that's I don't know. If they you are I mean they, for that I will, would say they, I was they I'm will a consumer. do it. They will do it, but you know their stance on it. So I guess it's down to the consumer to right. choose that. So I guess in the just to go along with Jimmy's thing or like the the pizza shop that like there's like a news report of that contacted the pizza shop and was like, Hey, I wanna get pizzas for me and my husband's wedding and there's like no wedding and they're like, No, we won't do it and then they just like wrote a piece being like, These people won't cater for a wedding. Yeah. It's like they're also a pizza shop. So yeah. who has pizza at a wedding? But <laughs> but bad you're already fucking up. You're already fucking up. Already also, gays are better than that. But also, still, it's like still down to the consumer. Like whatever, like you know, if something's good, it'll sell. But if the consumer also doesn't like the practice of a company, they're not going to do it anyway. So it's kind of get, gets down to basic capitalism of like, all right, if the owner of that company sucks, no one's going to go there anyway. Yeah. So. I'll use a very real example. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. Um, my bad. I'm terrible at tossing. I'm sorry. Um, uh, Jim Crow laws. Mm. Jim Crow laws, were gov- they were government and state. Now, granted, there were obviously people in the South that there was obviously a large portion of people, particularly in the South, that, that would not have wanted to serve black patrons. For sure. But economically speaking, if you're a restaurant owner, mm-hmm. it's not feasible to maintain double bathrooms, double sections, all these things. It costs you extra money. And so a lot of... And, and I and again, I, I think that that was an example of the government overstepping their boundaries because the government literally said, no, you are not legally allowed to, to host these patrons unless under these conditions. Mm. You cannot legally have black people in your restaurant unless... You have this section available. That was the Jim Crow laws and things like that. And a lot of the South, a lot of the Southern business owners didn't want that because it costs them more money to do so. I'm thinking in a real-world example, if I, were to, if I were to open up a shop right now and say, Jim's Donuts, no gays allowed, I, wonder, I, do, I do wonder how many people would, would attend that restaurant. I mean, yeah, but as I remember it, Jim Crow laws weren't real laws, right? They were just a nickname given to policies and practices that were practiced by people in communities that were racist. But they were government mandated. I don't believe Jim Crow laws, um, you know, prohibited or required people to segregate when they didn't want to, right? There were places where there weren't segregation. This isn't my place to say, because I don't know for sure, but I feel like I feel like it might have been the case. And I could be wrong. Right. I could be wrong. But I feel like there were legitimate laws passed in public policy that said that, no, this is, this is how we do things here. I mean, but and the thing is, they weren't federal also. Like, they weren't federal. Mainly yeah. just in the south. Yeah, these were. They were in the south. They were in the these south. Were but, local but they policies. did. They did. They did make 
people in a certain area have to abide by a system of rules that were sure, sure. not based in first of all, not based in constitutionality. If yeah. you if you abide by everybody's created equal or anything like that. Right. But I mean back to the point of like people should not be forced to do what they don't want to do. You know, eventually the law realized that Jim Crow laws and laws of that sort were unconstitutional and were bad. And so that law changed. And so we can't say that, you know, business owners should be allowed to continue to segregate because they just believe that they should. Um, the law, I think, has a function to take the side of the people. Um, the law has a function to create the society that we want. And the society that we want is one where everyone feels validated and whole and free and respected. And there are some laws that don't do that. And so we have to combat against those laws. So, you know, business owners that can just refuse service to gay couples, well, that's not the world we want to live in. And the the law has, I think, a responsibility to protecting people who are vulnerable and taking a bold step on the side of what's right. And what's right is being able, if you're going to be in business, to practice fair business. To play a devil's advocate, the the law does allow those people to seek out another business. True. But I think that, like, why should the person who is already persecuted be forced to seek another business when really refusing service to this one group and upholding it means that you agree that those things are okay? And I think that we don't want to have citizens in America who have to play hot potato with bakeries searching to find someone who will see them and respect them as a person and bake them a, a, a cake. Um, that's not the type of country that I think anyone would want to live in. Um, and so I think the law has a responsibility to make sure that it doesn't happen. Because that's just not nice. It isn't nice. Yeah. It's not right. nice. It isn't nice. It isn't not nice. nice. It isn't nice. <laughs> yeah, especially the way I plan things where it's just all at the last minute. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm relying on that one bakery That's just right. to do it right. <laughs> and you have to be like, oh, you have to go to another bakery. It's like, damn. You just have to be pissed off while you're talking to the right. next bakery. <laughs> Come on. Or pizza shops. I mean, Domino's does have that tracker. <laughs> Yeah, if the name looks fishy, I'll yeah. usually send someone else. Mister and Mister, yeah. what? <laughs> Cancel. <laughs> no, I just mean like the delivery driver's name, it's like Trevor or something. Like Trevor. <laughs> Trevor is always a douche name. Chad. Chad. Chad's Chad's a, bad a douchey one. name. It is a douchey name. Yeah. Don't deliver pieces in my house, dude. Yeah. Stay away, Chad. Come nowhere near me. <laughs> but if. If your name looks like it could also pop up in my Uber or Lyft app, I know that pizza's getting there quick. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's true. I just, I, I, I will stand by what I say under the principle that once you allow, once you set the precedent that a certain system of beliefs, well, I guess... No, you know, you might you might be right about that because there are there is a there is a system of beliefs that Just is watching set. Watching Jimmy change his mind, it's beautiful. <laughs> this is we great. Have video <laughs> image of it. on air. Yeah. That's cool. 
It's a, it's a, it's a, it is very like. I hope you can understand why I'm so caught up in this, and it's not because of anything other than I'm just legitimately, from a from a moral standpoint, just very perturbed by it. I don't. I don't want to see this, the precedent set that one system of beliefs dictates an entire society's system of beliefs only because in an ideal society, in my ideal society, everyone is free to believe what they choose to believe. And I think that that sounds beautiful, right? But today, as society is, do you believe that you suffer from the current system that exists? Probably not, no. But I believe that I could. You believe that you could? Absolutely. And I think that that is one of the big columns of why this conversation is difficult and frustrating for people who already are in positions of power. You know, power and supremacy is intoxicating. And people who have power, the most horrible thing to happen to them is them losing that power. And then if you think about the people who don't have it at all, asking for a little bit of it, obviously the person who has it is going to say, well, no. Because what if I give you too much? True. And then what if I end up in the same way that you are? And for that, that isn't seeking a system of equality. That is understanding that you don't want to give up, you know, the privileges that you possess for fear that one day you might not have them. But that is not hearing the voice of the people who don't have them right now. Mm-hmm. And again, the way our society is set up, I can't see any day where you know, that can be the case. And if it is, then why isn't that deserved, right? Why isn't that deserved? If people of color can live through hundreds of years of oppression and persecution and being silenced, then why can't you? Well, I guess at that point, it, it just becomes like a, is that really what we're aiming for right now? Is that, are we aiming for, well, we did it so, like we had to go through it so so should you type of thing like like the the society went so far this way that our solution is to make it now you're going to have to deal with it so far that way you know i don't think i don't think it's a jersey because because at the end of the day i'm not approaching this from a standpoint where i'm like i'm scared to see you have a certain amount of power or or lgbt or anything like that i'm just saying like look this these are the facts these are the facts of reality the facts of reality is this is the way society was conducted for so long Right. And it sucks. It sucks that so many people, that this this group of people had the privilege of dictating the laws by which everyone else had to abide. I don't personally agree that the solution to that is saying, okay, well now now you got to put up with the laws that I say have to go. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think that that sounds bad, but in reality how it would play out is... I don't think that any civil rights activist is saying, okay, now let's make white folks slaves, right? Well, like no, it's, it's no, not like no. totally like that. It's, 
let's have a little bit of a the piece of the pie so that we are able to live full lives just as you know people who can live full lives can and i think that it's not necessarily the goal isn't to shift the power to where white folks now feel oppressed that's not yeah, the yeah, goal yeah not not white folks or anything or just, anybody just who's in any, yeah, anybody any power who... white cis straight you know whatever that's not the goal of any of i think these movements the goal of the movement is to now be at a place of equity and a place where people who are oppressed are able to realize similar lives that people who aren't. That's really all oppressed people want is a chance at equity. And I think that sometimes that translates to people who do have power is they have to give up some of theirs in order to give somebody else's. And what if it gets so much where you know the other person has more? But I think that the goal is to make everyone be able to feel fulfilled and whole and free. And some of these laws, like you know, the cake, the transgender pronouns, um, segregation, were all aims at making that happen, right? So it's not that like now only white folks can go in the fr- the back door. It's now everybody can go in the front door. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is kind of what the the goal is is to have equity. Except when you run across those those situations, like for instance, like I'll bring up the case of like. What, like the whole you're familiar with like Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos and stuff like that yeah. like mm-hmm. conservative speakers that come to campus yeah. and things like that and then they kind of get like there kind of gets this mantra of like you're you're not allowed to speak here yeah. or anything like that right do you feel like that's appropriate absolutely back to the whole thought that like some beliefs aren't welcome I think that beliefs that spew out of Milo whatever his name is mouth um, are ones that are dangerous and violent and translate to violence for oppressed communities and colleges and large you know, institutions have to take that stance and say, yes, this speech is actually not welcome here because um, it does not contribute to uplifting everybody and it actually is violent and it is dangerous. A lot of the things that he says are. I think what's dangerous is when a certain group of people is allowed to decide what is allowed and what isn't. Yeah, but isn't that what we're living in now? Sure. It doesn't make it right. Yeah. It doesn't make it right. I'm not saying that the the place we live in right now is right. What right. I'm saying is is that again, all I've ever been like like I said, like I I find it hard to play the devil's advocate only because like I really do agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. But, but it's, it's important to look it at is, the other side. It is important to 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 observe like why people think the way they do, mm-hmm. you know? Is it safe? Is it safe? Because when I look at when I look at societies throughout history the most tyrannical societies the societies that are most controlled and the societies that become most corrupt are the societies with the most limitation on what you're allowed to say if you look throughout nazi germany north korea if you look throughout communist russia or anything like that the most tyrannical societies are the societies that have dictated these are the right ways to think and if you think anything other than this you're not allowed to say that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's easy to say, well, we're gonna we're just gonna go ahead and say that this person's thought is too ridiculous for anyone to listen to, and therefore we're gonna limit that. I think that's a bad precedent to set. To, to set that makes any sense, because what you've done is you've you've limited the dialogue, and I guess I guess it comes down to I guess it comes down to again it comes down to a, a major differential in ways of thinking 
I would think that as humanity progresses in the battle of ideas, somebody wins and somebody loses. Not by limiting the ability of the other side to speak, but by defeating them logically and saying, no, this is, this is clearly how it is. This is how it is. And if, like, if you can't beat me on a logical standpoint, then you lose. But otherwise, then you're saying, well, I'm just not going to allow you to even say what you think. Does that make sense? I mean, it makes sense, but I think that also we have to look at the context. And for Milo, whatever, to speak at a college campus is very different than limiting someone's constitutional right to speech. And I think that Milo has plenty of opportunities to speak as much as he wants because that isn't what is being threatened. The First Amendment isn't being threatened. I think that private... Is it not, and, though? No, I would say that not having Milo speak at a college campus is not, is not threatening the First Amendment at all. What's Why threatening not? the First Amendment is when we look at public speech um, and censorship and things like that, you know, Milo has his own little website and his blogs or whatever he does. Um, shutting those down, I think, would be indicative of some type of constitutional infringement. Sure. But every group has a right to decide who's going to be on the stage and who's not. Um, and we have to make those decisions based on, you know, what's right. I think that, like, for example, any public institution would not invite an ISIS speaker to come about how America should die and should kill all Americans. I don't know anybody who would want to sit and listen to that and be like, this is free speech and we just want to hear this person out. Um, and so I think that people have to make those decisions and I applaud you know, groups making decisions to have speech that doesn't align with their values hurt. So Milo has plenty of opportunities to speak however he wishes because of the First Amendment. But individual colleges and groups have a right um, to choose not to allow those types of things. To Wouldn't be you say that individual, let's say, Christian bakeries have that same right to choose who they wish to serve? I think that if a college campus is hiring a speaker, um, they're not providing a public service. Right, and so they're not really in the same business. Neither is a bakery. I mean, a bakery, I think, does provide a, a service to the public. It's a, it's it a business. Cakes. It's a business. It's yeah. a business. It's their own business. I'm not talking. Look, look. When I talk about discrimination, I'm not talking about like a public inst institution like University of Maryland or Towson High School. I'm talking mm -hmm. about like me, Jim Selesky, right. decided to start a business, yeah. and that business is making cakes. Yeah. Once, once someone is allowed to say, well, Jim Selesky's thoughts are so wrong that we're not going to allow him, we're not even going to allow him to think what he thinks. I think that's infringing. I, this is what I was getting at. I think mm -hmm. it's infringing upon the same right that you're claiming that these... So, like, when you say that these colleges have the right to say, no, we disagree with what he's saying, and therefore, mm -hmm. we are going to say he can't speak here. Agreed. Yeah. These institutions, funded by certain places, you could make the argument that absolutely they have the right to say, no, you can't speak here. You right. could also make the argument that a considerable amount of people who are also paying tuition invited him there and wanted him to speak there. And so by saying he can't speak there because this percentage of your campus is protesting it, that now therefore the other percentage of your campus that wanted to hear him is now marginalized because they're not allowed to listen to it. Right. You could make that argument, but at the same time you're also conceding the argument that 
by saying that they have the right to dictate who's allowed to speak and what beliefs are allowed to be voiced, mm -hmm. you are also admitting that so does everyone else. Otherwise, it's unfair. Because if you're saying that, well, no, colleges have the right to dictate what belief systems they agree with mm -hmm. and who they allowed to speak. Mm -hmm. However, a private bakery does not. Right. Now you're infringing on the... You see what I'm coming from? Do you see what I I'm saying? I see what you're saying, but I think that your point of view is relying on a very equal logic system and a very equal approach to how the world works. Whereas if this, then that, and if not this, then not that. And if one side gets it, then the other side does. And if it doesn't get it, then the other side does not. And it would be nice if the world worked that way, but the world just isn't equal. So unfortunately, laws don't operate in equal ways. And so yes, I believe that it is completely okay for a college campus or whatever to say, yes, I'm making this decision to not have this speaker. And I equally think it's okay for a bakery not to be allowed to discriminate against their customers. Because again, the law and policies have to be on the bold side of the people who need the work um, and have to be on the side of the people that align with the values that we want to have. And if the law doesn't do that, then what is it doing? Has to do that. Yeah, it is supposed to be there for the underdog. Uh, it's supposed to be there for everybody. That's the that's the job of the law. It's supposed to be. Yeah. It's supposed to be. But we understand. I agree. That, with, like, I agree totally with you. Isn't. I right. agree with you that it's not. But right. at the same time, I just do you uh, do you at least at the very least see where I'm coming from? Oh this? no, I know. I see where you're coming. Like I like the logic makes sense, but like in a vacuum, it only works. Right. Like in the actual world, we can't operate that way. So, like, we have to recognize the inequities in the law and the inequities of society and have them be able to link. Because we can't just pretend like everything is equal and make laws that pretend that. Because that's not, that's unfortunately not how it is. Okay. Okay. I'll take one more beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, They're still cold. I don't want it to splooge all over me this time. Oh, be careful. It's going to. I saw your technique. You opened it yeah. very slowly. Yeah. yeah. I just want to I just want to take a, a quick second and just say that I I'm so thankful you came here. Yeah, this is really yeah, wonderful. Thank you so like, much for coming. This Absolutely. is so cool. This is so cool. It really is. I mean, I it is. We're just like, chilling. We're drinking beers. We're talking about the problems of the world. I mean, yeah. it's a summer night. <laughs> Doesn't feel too hot, right? It's nice. The fans on them. It's great. I've gotten in. <laughs> Someone's mowing their lawn at like eleven right. thirty at right. night. That's so strange. Yeah, how can they? How can they see? Whoa. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> how can they see what they're mowing? <laughs> oh, I think you might get revenge of the foam. Now, nah, dude, no, I controlled it. I've ah, learned. I've learned how. I to also <laughs> had similar success. Would you care for another fug? I would. Hell Thank yeah. you yeah. for providing beer and Newports. Yeah, man, this has been a good cast. Treat it. No, it's yeah, a fantastic. Sure. This is this is this is honestly everything I could have hoped for. Just just to have just to just to have this kind of conversation because I again. Yeah, and, and it's a value that I have. It's just a conversation that it, it, that I don't see being had because yeah. clearly, 
clearly we're coming at this from two different perspectives. It's obvious at this point, you know? It's very clear, you know? But, again, I will say this. I mean, you, you bore witness to this. When, when I... Uh, <laughs> When I, that whole thing with like the kid dressing up in drag on oh, Facebook yeah. and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew that was a thing. I knew that was going to be a thing. Like I, I was like, I honestly, I was like, I was praying to God that you didn't see that because I was scared that you would be like, I am not going on James. <laughs> I'm not going on this podcast. No. You know what I'm saying? No. I really was. I really was. It was a legitimate concern of yeah. mine only because... In my opinion, what I voiced was, again, it might not be right, but in my opinion, what I voiced was a legitimate point. And I feel like it was met with this kind of, well, actually, the reason you think that is because you're homophobic and you're this, that, the other thing, and you just aren't... Basically, in so many words, it was basically, you're not equipped to have this conversation because right. your morals aren't in alignment with our morals, and therefore, you're just wrong. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I, I think that the, the, the opinion of the dissent wasn't necessarily that your morals don't prepare you for this conversation. It was your understanding. Right, it was the knowledge. It was the theoretical and conceptual understanding of sexuality, of identity, of drag culture, and I think that it was your lack of knowledge around that that birthed your opinions that people didn't agree with, and those other people did have that knowledge, and so, and they did get a little ad hominem, right? They were like, yeah. "You this, you that." But these are, you know, keyboard warriors, right? Yeah, Who, absolutely. Like, aren't absolutely. Having, you know, I paid close attention discourse. to what you said versus what other people said. Yeah, good. Cause, yeah, because I was quite honest. To call I respect names. your opinion much more than I respected I most of the people on that opinion. <laughs> I appreciate that. And and again, my point was not about your morals. It was about my understanding of 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 sexuality, and and so I mean, I guess we should describe what we're talking about right like eric did you hear about this i have no clue what's going on um, i'll see jimmy post something i'll like it out of moral support <laughs> won't look at it <laughs> so there was this video of this young boy from canada who's like eight years old um and he's a drag queen and he's giving an interview about how he's a drag queen he's wearing makeup and a wig and there's a scene of him doing vogue dancing at this event and he's on the ground, and he does like this twirl and twist on the ground. Um, and then there's like this whole interview about like how he's a drag queen. Mm-hmm. And so Jimmy highlighted that it seems that the dancing that this young boy was doing seemed sexual um, and possibly inappropriate for his development as a young person because this culture and this environment seemed to um, force an eight-year-old boy to exude sexuality that perhaps wasn't appropriate for him. Did, mm-hmm. did I word that? It was good. <laughs> Sound like Jimmy Celeste himself right perfect, there. Perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs> um, and a lot of folks, you know, came back and they were like, you know, no, that's not what this is. This is Vogue dancing, number one. 
Number two, often depictions of queer identity are quickly taken to a sexual, a hypersexualized place. Um, and just like realizing that maybe not like that is maybe that wasn't the the kernel of what was happening in your brain, but just acknowledging that in society when we talk about lesbian gay issues, that typically people go to this hypersexualized understanding of that identities that we brought that up, um, and then I also brought up the fact that children do have sexuality and that young people do express themselves in sexual ways, and it's an, it's important for adults to be able to mold and help young people understand themselves as sexual people um, rather than, you know, stifle that. Um, and so that was like my whole point of view, that this young person was not doing anything sexual, not doing anything inappropriate, um, and that, you know, it was fine. So that's kind of where we split in the road. Yeah, I just, um, I having no background or anything and coming from a very ignorant place, with no knowledge. I just don't I I wouldn't know when it is like like even for just the brain to be developed enough to understand sexuality. Right. I just like I so that's like where I like coming from almost the same place where Jimmy is. I hear something like that I'm like well like is it a thing where like the parents are like making them get involved in it because it's something like with them wanting something, or is is this really the kid's thing, or is right. this, you know, like, it's... And I know. think that was another uh, opinion that was brought up that I absolutely do agree with, is that young people have autonomy and agency, and the decisions that they make don't come from their parents all the time, that sometimes it comes, you know, directly from them, and... Also, like, if I saw a young, you know, eight-year-old who was humping the floor and twerking and doing all that type of extremely sort of pornographic, you know, yeah. borderline stuff, then, yeah, I'd have a problem with it. But a drag performance, particularly this drag performance, I believe the, the word Jimmy used was gyrating. <laughs> and was it just like kind of like runway, like kind of like... Yeah, he was on the floor like and he did a twirl. Stuff, and yeah. I posted a video of like a girl who was doing gymnastics who was doing a similar stuff. And also gyrating is like moving your hips in kind of a sexual way. And I don't believe that's what this boy was doing. Um, and so it was kind of like the performance that I saw seemed to be totally within bounds of, you know, a drag performance and not any type of hypersexual or inappropriate thing. And some of the people on there said, well, it's because of your lens as a, as a this, as a that, um, that you immediately think that this was hypersexualized. And that's kind of how the That's a good summation. Went. It really is a good summation. I think I was approaching it more from a standpoint of like, I was observing the culture surrounding it, which I think that people weren't being honest about, in my opinion. I don't think that people were being honest about the amount of sexuality is present in a drag race that is not present. In a, and again, look, I'm the same person that I find pageant, I, fe I find particularly like, girl beauty pageants like that's like a thing they have like a televised like pageant queen pageant moms or something like that yeah. on tlc where it's like these moms who they just i don't know they just like have their daughters and stuff like that yeah. i find that to be kind of disturbing as well i think it's kind of and, and, and the example that you brought up with gymnastics was kind of like i don't i, I think the, for instance in gymnastics appearance is one of the rated things that they like when they judge you yeah 
as a, they they judge you like part of the whole thing is appearance yeah which i think is like right why why are you why are why are we judging 8 year old girls by their appearance yeah. like if they're not if they don't have enough makeup on or something like that right. like why are we why are we judging that as a thing it, it to me, I guess I, in my opinion, I was coming at it from a standpoint. I was like, this has nothing to do with the whole. This has nothing to do with the the gay transgender aspect of things. For me, this has to do with like, this is just like an amount of, I don't know. It just didn't. It just didn't seem. It, it seemed. It seemed dishonest for people because I, you know, when you watch RuPaul's Drag Race and things like that, when you watch those shows, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is like a lot of jokes being made about like you know, giving head and stuff like that. And there's yep. a lot of provocative sexuality brought into that theater mm-hmm. that when you bring the comparison to gymnastics, it's not present. Mm-hmm. However, I will concede that, yeah, gymnastics could necessarily be considered equally as inappropriate. Mm-hmm. My whole point was that it all seems inappropriate to me. It all seems wrong to me. I mean, I can't disagree that you know, drag shows happen at gay bars, right? And gay bars are for 21 plus people who are dancing to explicit music and hooking up and doing all of those things. Mm-hmm. And the bar culture is one that is prevalent with drugs and sexuality and things like that. And for me, I can, you know, conclude on that, but can't make the further conclusion that that world will in some way penetrate this young eight-year-old because I also respect the people in that community and respect the people in the room and understand boundaries and understanding that there's a difference between having a 27-year-old drag queen and an eight-year-old drag queen. And I can't start to slippery slope and say that, oh, just because this eight-year-old is in this environment and is participating in this culture that sometimes is adjacent to sexuality, that then they will be in some way harmed by that. That's the connection that I don't have. Um, And so a lot of that comes from trust of the community, of the adults, understanding of the community, um, that those things are unlikely to happen. Don't you think that's a little bit like again? You 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 voice it from an opinion of like trust. You mm-hmm. know, like you're saying, like I trust that the the gay community isn't going to be inappropriate about this. Yeah, I I give the gay community the same credit I give any community, which is when you have an eight year old boy in the culture of bar culture, which we are both very familiar with. I I don't see that as being I don't see that as being healthy for someone that age to be. I thought it was a very I thought it was a very dishonest and it wasn't you that made this comparison but there were people who were saying things like well my um you know my uncle does drag and and he's completely straight and this that the other thing and like there's a difference between this and the other thing and I think that there that it's kind of it's kind of discounting the fact that an 8-year-old child doesn't have that level of reference to work off like yeah your 45-year-old uncle is able to go to a place like that, like a nightclub, and and do all the fun things. Like like I said, like I I wasn't being disingenuous when I said it. I was like I would love to go to a drag show. To be quite honest, I've never been to a drag show. Oh, you should go. I would love to go to one. I would love to go to one. But at I the will same take time, you to a drag show. I hope you do. I really do hope you do. But you gotta bring the, some dollar bills. I will, dude. Hey, right. dude. I've been I've been to clubs before, dude. I'm used <laughs> I'm used to spending the dollar. You gotta pay. You gotta pay him. 
for their performance. <laughs> but exactly, that's what I'm saying. To me, it was like this kind of same element as like bringing a kid. And I know, look, I'm not going to, I won't compare it to a strip club entirely. But <laughs> you already have. <laughs> I kind of already have. I kind of already have. <laughs> you, you just did, did bring in the dollar bill. <laughs> yeah, and the, but the, but the, let me tell you about the dollar bills, though, right? Because this is an aspect of the drag community that, that maybe people don't hear or know. The drag community isn't all about performance and collecting dollar bills, right? The drag community was a life-saving mechanism for sure. young LGBT people, sure. where young, you know, gay folks, lesbian folks, trans folks could not feel a part of anything and they felt their most real and their most authentic selves when they were able to perform in drag. Um, and we know that, you know, Stonewall riots, that whole thing that happened in 1969, which a lot of people regard as the birth of the gay rights movement. Are you all familiar with this thing? New York. New York City. Yeah. You know, a bar was raided by police. It had been raided, you know, several some, times. Some weird, like, uh, mafia shit going on, too. Though, Definitely. Right? Definitely, there was like an understanding between you know either yeah. the bar owners and the mafia at the time, and any time that the mafia didn't make good on the police demands, then the police would raid the bar. Yeah, and it was drag queens that lost their lives, right, and that were brutalized and and hit the pavement and were beaten up by police. And so the dollar bills isn't really like just this performance of selling myself, selling my body, selling my performance, but it's an aspect of survival, and we continue the practice of giving dollar bills because we understand that hey a lot of drag queens do it to make a little extra money um that of course society isn't always equal for people who are lgbt um and so it's it's from that understanding of the drag community that we offer the dollar bills not oh my god you know you're so sexy let me tip you strip club and it's important to be able to like keep those barriers really clear in your mind so that you understand the drag performance as what it is. You understand a strip club as what it is. But you also understand that like, if an eight-year-old is being invited to do, give a performance, obviously, they're probably coming with their parents, with other adults. They're being escorted in. They're escorted out. Um, and that doing it in such a way that enhances personal development and not in a way that you know is meant to you know, harm this young person. And if they decide to grow up and become a drag queen and do the circuit, you know, to all the gay bars, then great. Um, but being able to understand the opportunity for what it was and not, you know, having other understandings of it. I think that the, the what you just voiced is incredibly, it, it's true, and I agree with it. I agree with it entirely. I think that you may be giving an eight-year-old a little bit too much credit for being able to differentiate between the two. I don't know. Remember, I teach eight-year-olds, right? You know, I'm a teacher, and I spend a lot of time with young people, and I think that if we gave more young people more credit and more agency and more freedom to be themselves, the only person hung up about it are adults, right? These young people aren't hung up about it, and there is not evidence or research that suggests, um, you know, having young people grow up, let's say, in gay households or around gay culture or anything of the sort um, is harmful for them. Um, but there is research that suggests that young people who are able to be autonomous about their lives have, you know, better outcomes. And so I would hazard, you know, to say that we're giving that young person an appropriate amount of responsibility about their lives. We know that young people understand themselves as sexual people as early as two, three, or four. 
Um, and so an eight-year-old being able to make decisions about how he wants to spend his life, I think that we as adults should maybe listen more um, and give young people that agency and that autonomy to make those decisions. I'm all for that. I agree. I think, um, I, think it, I guess the main dividing line is uh, education versus exposure. Um, I'm very thankful to my upbringing for my father told me about sex and what sex was from a very young age. You know, I was aware, and I, I've brought it up before on the podcast, that perhaps I was made aware of sex from possibly too young of an age. You know, where I was curious about something, and my father was the type of guy who he was like, you want to know about it? I'll tell you about it. Right. Like, and, and he told me about what sex was and everything that goes into it from the age of six. Um, I think the same thing could be applied to drugs. I think that, uh, I think, uh, there's, I don't know of any evidence, like scientific evidence that could be displayed, but I think there probably is something that could say that, you know, ki kids that are educated about drugs from young, in an honest fashion, not like the whole, like, reefer madness type of, like, sure. sexual education, right. like, weed's gonna make you go insane, versus just saying, like, what my dad did was, like, my dad used to tell me, he was like, dude, Jim, drug drugs are fun. Drugs are fun. If, if drugs weren't fun, nobody would do them. Nobody would do drugs if they weren't fun. Like, anybody who's trying to tell you that, like, because, because it deludes a, a child's sense of what is really going on. When you try to tell a kid that sexuality doesn't exist or drugs don't exist and drugs are just done by crazy people who are just thinking crazy fucking things, it becomes dishonest. And then, of course, inevitably, they're going to come to a point in their life when they become exposed to it. They're going to become exposed to that culture, and if they haven't been brought about with the right upbringing, then they're not going to know how to handle it. I think, however, there's a major difference between exposing to someone or educating them to somebody. For instance, you can educate somebody about the drug culture, but there's a major difference between educating somebody or smoking crack in front of them. I think there's a big fucking difference. And so, in my opinion, that was equivalent to like, no, I'm not only going to... If you're going to... look. I, I'm not educated enough in the subject to raise an argument against whether or not we should be teaching kids that it's okay to to not identify as a gender. Because like, I don't have an. I really. I, I I combat myself a lot. There's a lot of things I think about it. To be perfectly honest with you, that you know, but but I'm not decisively like no, this is wrong or no, this is right or anything mm -hmm. like that. But there's a difference between like if if you're gonna be an eight year old. If you're going to be an eight-year-old who identifies as a female, you should identify as an eight-year-old female, not a 24-year-old female, not a female who's up on stage performing in full makeup or anything like that. I would, like I said, I said it several times during the whole conversation. I wouldn't let my daughter do this. This has nothing to do. This has nothing to do with. You know, this is this is uh, this is because of the trans thing or anything like this. It's like mm -hmm. I wouldn't let anybody who identified as a girl or a boy do this because this is this seems inappropriate. It seems inappropriate. And and look again, this is another point where we're kind of crossing that impasse where it's like you see things one way, I see things another way. Yeah. The major thing that I had the whole time was like I don't. I just I I resented the fact that my sentiments were met with. This it is really is this kind of like it it always it always seems to fall down to a kind of character assassination, you know. It always seems to come down to this thing where people go, "Well, you think this because you're this," and I'm going to come up with reasons why 
your opinion isn't eligible for consideration or things like that. Mm -hmm. And that is the element of society that I find to be extremely dangerous. I find that to be extremely dangerous when we say that these type of opinions aren't okay because we have decided for ourselves that these things aren't up for consideration. Mm -hmm. And so when I when to bring it way, 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 way back, when it comes to the bullying in school and things like that, when it comes to the whole elements of like, I want to be able to send my kid to school, especially, especially if he is in a public institution. I expect none of those teachings to be based off of any religious standards like that. It doesn't belong in a public institution. Mm -hmm. But then you have the whole, what if I sent my kid to Loyola? What if I sent my kid, what if I was spending thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars a year to send my kid to a private institution that taught that homosexuality or something like that? And again, these are, I wouldn't send my kid to that school. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't send my school kid to that school, but I would, however, defend the right of those who do want to send their kids to those schools to have the right to teach their kids what they believe. Because the minute you're not allowed to teach your kids what you believe, then you exist in a fascist society. Then you have now limited the discourse. You have now said, these are the opinions that we believe, these are the opinions that we don't believe, and if you don't believe in these, then you're wrong, mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to speak, you're not allowed to go to my college, you're not allowed mm -hmm. to do these things. That shit is dangerous to me. It's incredibly dangerous to me. And when I talk about hijacking, I think that that's what that is. I think that there's a, a certain element of people that take these things to like, look, I know everyone in the transgender community isn't super concerned about the freaking, you call me this pronoun, you call me that pronoun, you call me Zim, Zem, Her, or whatever. Like, How do you know that? I, I, I don't imagine, I don't imagine that the majority of the people in the transgender community are, that their main issue, that their main issue, what they think would solve their livelihood is you have to call me by this word. I don't think that anybody is delusional enough to think, no, this is what would solve my problems. And so when it's raised to that level, then you reach the opposition because you've reached such an opposite side of the spectrum that you're just asking for opposition because there are legitimately people who are saying, no, I'm not for that. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say on that. <laughs> <laughs> but... Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a lot. Um, you know, as someone who does work with the transgender community, and also someone who is not transgender, I can't speak for transgender folks, but I would imagine that, and I said this before, being called the proper pronoun, is that going to solve all of the issues? Certainly not, right? But... It is a huge deal to transgender people being referred to as the pronoun with which they identify. They routinely are misgendered by their family members, by their employers. And again, addressing someone with the proper pronoun is an easy way for you to acknowledge them as the human that they are. And I think that so many of the reasons that transgender people suffer discrimination is because people aren't acknowledging them for the humans that they are. So, you know, ergo, I'd say that a law that requires people to use the proper pronouns, which then requires people to see and respect trans people for who they are, 
that could be a extremely important catalyst to fixing the discrimination that trans people have. And even if it isn't, and if it isn't the big do-all, end-all, then, again, then what is the big deal, right? Allowing people to, or not even allowing, but mandating that people refer to trans, transgender people with the correct pronouns shouldn't ruin your day at all. And if the only reason it ruins your day is because now you are required to do it, then I think that you should examine kind of your thoughts and ideas around it in the first place because there's a bigger conversation around why it's important to respect people that exists outside of, well, I just think it's stupid that I'm required to do this now and you start requiring this and maybe you're going to require me to do other things. I think that that's not really getting at really the big picture. I think it's avoiding the adult element of things. If you were to come to me and say to me, hey, Jim, before we start this podcast, I prefer if you call me this, that, the other thing, I would, because I'm not a dick, I would say, all right, Jabari, I got you, dude. Like, whatever you want me to call you, that's what I'll call you. It it, kind of takes away, like, the whole... Again, I'll say the adult aspect of things. Like, take a swig of beer real quick. I'll do the same. <laughs> I hope I still have some. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> this all this all comes down to one major thing, and the major thing is because. I consider myself to be a good person. I would identify you or call you whatever you prefer. Now, to be honest with you, there is a time where if you were like super strict about like, okay, well, no, you got to call me this or the other thing, I probably honestly just wouldn't hang out with you. If I were to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. If you were like, no, you got to call me Zim. And I don't know. I don't. Again, I don't claim to be like super in touch with the transgender community, and I've heard, I've read, and things like that through research that sure. that this isn't necessarily one of the major concerns. Like the the all like the I, I feel like a lot of the transgender community they just prefer like a general neutral term like they or something like that. No, not no? true. <laughs> what do they prefer? Not true. So if you are a man, then you would prefer he. If you are a woman, you'd prefer she. If you have a gender identity that exists in between or outside of that binary, you might use they. And if they doesn't work for you, you might use the ones that you, I think, have tried to pronounce, Z and here, mm-hmm. or Z and Zem, those, um, which are not very common. That's what I was saying. I was yeah. saying it's not super common. The Z and the here and the Z Zem aren't as common, um, but transgender people who have you know, their understanding of their gender want to be called exactly what their gender is. So if they are men, they want to be called he. If they're women, they want to be called she. But if they are non-binary, then they would be called they. And that is like 100% what sure. any transgender person would want. Sure. But do you see the danger in making it a law? No, not at all. Because, again, there's a difference between making a mistake and doing it on purpose. And let's say that I use the pronoun she, and you've known me since high school, right? Mm -hmm. So if all of a sudden I use the pronoun she, 
obviously you might slip up a couple of times and you might say he, oh, I'm so sorry, I mean she, right? Mm -hmm. And that would be fine and that wouldn't be necessarily against the law. And um, I suspect that trans people know the difference between someone who is making a mistake or intentionally doing it. Now, if there's someone like an employer who you know that you have a trans employee and their pronouns are she, but you consistently refuse to use she because you don't see that person as a woman and you insist to call him or call her he, then that is a problem because that's not creating a safe work environment. That's completely hostile. And I think that it's giving a pass for someone to spew, you know, hate and discrimination against somebody on purpose. And for that law, you know, I would absolutely... We're all, I guess, I guess I'm just thinking like we're all adults. Like I'm just imagining myself. And again, this might be a mistake on my part. I'm just trying to imagine myself in this position. Yeah. And I feel like I, I don't, I don't know, man. It just doesn't. And also you don't have as much to lose, right? Like it's easy for you to say, you know, if you want to be strict about your pronouns, then I just won't hang out with you. Right. And like sure. a lot of that is your own personal frustration around changing your beliefs, your language in order to make space for somebody else. And that's easy to do as a person who doesn't have to worry about this. When you go to an airport, it says Jimmy, male, he, no problems. And so it's so easy to, to consider and be intoxicated by all the privilege and power that you have and not be concerned with the fact that these people are making and living daily struggles to where this is a huge deal. And people have given up on them and kicked them out and don't hang out with them. 40% of all homeless youth in America are LGBT. 40% of every young person who is homeless in America is LGBT, and a large majority of those are transgender and gender nonconforming young people because their parents, too, say, Ugh, I'm not dealing with this. I'm not hanging out with you more. Quote, unquote, get out of my house. And so it's easy to make those decisions, but we have to like really analyze why we're making them and at whose detriment. And when you really understand that, you realize that, wow, I could really be a jerk by just saying, transgender person, now you're just depleted out of my life because it was too much for me to call you who you are. Um, and I think that that's, again, not nice. It's not nice, but I mean, really, you're going to like people can be prosecuted for this? Yeah, that's horrible. People can be people can be sent to jail for for simply like I said if I was somebody who didn't believe in the same thing you believed I could be sent to jail for that. And you agree with that? I'd say if that was a law, that was the law of the land. That is the law of the land in Canada. If that then yeah, I think that absolutely if that's the law because it's such an easy law to follow. But that's not that shouldn't be the standard by which laws are followed. That's not all of them, no, not at all. But I think that it's on the right side of the issue when it comes to civil rights. You know, it's an easy law to follow. Is it easy to just have one water fountain and not do? It's like the same. It's like <laughs> it's the just same. It's a law, though. At the end of the day, like, no. But laws know, set like, precedents. Laws set precedents. There's a very. There's a very. We have to acknowledge that when you set a law, you are setting a precedent Definitely. for for normality of something. So once you normalize making something legal slash illegal mm -hmm. based off of something that somebody says, then you've set the precedent for making anything that somebody says legal. And I know that sounds ridiculous to a lot of people. A lot of people say, well, you know, a lot of people raise the same argument with marijuana. 
well, well, if he wasn't smoking weed, then he wouldn't have... What's the problem? All you got to do is not smoke weed. All you got to do is not smoke weed. Like, it's not that big of a fucking deal. Dude, just don't smoke weed. But And people go, like, like I, as a human being, have the right, I believe, to, to, to fucking decide for myself as an adult grown man what I choose to do with my body. Mm-hmm. And if what I choose to do with my body doesn't conform with what you decide I should be allowed to do with my body, then, then I don't know, it, you just... It just doesn't seem like a, a, a good principle to say that, well, I mean, look, we're just going to make this law and this law, therefore, because, look, how hard could it be? How hard could it be? Mm-hmm. That, that's not that, – that can't be. You got – I guess what I'm trying to say is there's got to be some type of understanding that this is how – and I know I sound a little bit crazy when I say this. Yep. I know I sound a little bit crazy when I say this, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just prepare. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest with you. I do think it's a little bit crazy once you suggest that, look, we're just going to make it illegal to say this because you would have to be crazy. We're just going to make it illegal. We're just going to make it illegal to say that evolution isn't real because you would have to be fucking stupid to not recognize that evolution is a real thing. Like, you'd have to be stupid to not look, like a, look at a fish and then look at an amphibian and then look at reptiles and look at mammals and see how that all progressed. You, we're just going to make it... This is... Like, you would be stupid to not realize that and therefore we're going to make it illegal for you to say that Adam and Eve created the world. It's a dangerous... It is a very dangerous precedent but that you're setting But isn't that illegal? There. No. You can't in public school teach creationism. Because it's re- because it's based on a belief system and not scientific fact. That's why you can't do it. There's no there's no scientific fact that there's no scientific evidence that I'm aware of. Uh-huh. Maybe that you might be aware of that I'm not aware of. Yeah. That proves that gender identity is completely disconnected from biological sexual. I mean, there's 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 evidence of the fact that transgenderism is real. It absolutely is real. It's gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. It's it's listed in the DSM five as like a legitimate what they call now to be a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. But to just start teaching, uh, I mean, this is a whole different conversation. But to start teaching in schools that actually gender is completely fluid and has nothing to do with your biological sex, that's not scientifically backed. That's a belief system. That's a, there's no scientific evidence that I'm aware of. Um, well, the thing is, when we're talking about gender. Gender isn't scientific, right? It's completely cultural. It's behavioral. And there is behavioral science that certainly studies how gender manifests itself in the world. And what is scientific fact is that humans possess all different types of biology and chromosomes. And there is no evidence to prove that a young person born with certain chromosomes should identify with a certain gender. So there's no scientific link between sex and biology. So just because I was born with an XY chromosome does not necessarily mean that I'm going to identify with the male gender. It doesn't mean that, no. It doesn't mean it at all. But however, it is certainly known and accepted widely. And again, gender not being scientific, we understand gender to be something very cultural, that different cultures make their own ideas of what gender is based on societal norms and practices. The performance of being male in America is different than the performance of being male in Africa, is different than being the performance of male in Europe in all these different nuanced ways. And so 
people who study humans and you know understand behavioral science certainly understand that gender being cultural is an identity that anyone can possess. And so it doesn't become a scientific belief. It becomes just a fact of life that as a human, you have the capacity to identify with a gender. And again, gender being given to you by your culture, by your surroundings, your community, all of those things, that you have the propensity as a human to identify with an identity of a certain gender, and that makes you who you are. So in that line of thinking, understanding that biological sex and gender identity are two different things is completely accepted. Another thing that isn't scientific fact is that they aren't, right? So there isn't any scientific fact that says that someone can't decide their gender identity either. We know gender being an identity, and what an identity is is your inner understanding of who you are is just accepted as something that humans can do. And so it is accepted as fact, you know, that gender identity is distinct from biological sex. And yes, if someone is born or the doctor assigns that person a sex, that has little to nothing to do with the gender that this person will actually identify with. And that's a fact of life. And if we're going to conclude that transgender people are real, we then also have to conclude that there is um, not a conflation between sex and gender identity. You have to conclude those both things. You can conclude that there's a dissonance between the two. Yeah. You can conclude that there could be... um, You can conclude that there... I mean... To conclude that to conclude that your biological sex has nothing to do mm-hmm. with the gender identity you assume yeah. is a little bit dishonest. How? You can well you can conclu- well to say that to say that something has nothing to do with something versus something that has it, it could like they are slightly independent. You're saying that that ninety nine point seven percent ninety nine point seven percent of people in the world that are born with a certain biological sex. Mm-hmm identify with that same gender so to say that it has nothing to do is dishonest well i said little to nothing to do little to nothing right you're talking about very little to nothing yeah. you're talking about very little to nothing um I i'm not just saying say little to nothing <laughs> 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 just regular old little so are you are you are you saying that i guess that all of the gender identity comes from a a, a social thing it's just yes. all social 100 percent it is your inner understanding of who you are in terms of your gender. There's no on. biological backing for why a male... Nope. There are vast hormonal differences between bodies that we assign male biologically and bodies that we assign female biologically sure. that don't align to any sort of um, gender expectations at all. The only thing that creates gender expectations is our society. Well, I mean, I there's feel no like that's, there's, there's certain no there's certain around. roles in 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 human society and not just society, human biology that very clearly very clearly demonstrate that there are differences between men and women. How? That extrapolate into our understanding of gender. A woman literally literally can conceive a baby. Mm-hmm. raise that baby, and then feed that baby from her own body yeah. based off of her biology. Yes. Biology. So to say that the, the element of nurturing a child has nothing to do with the feminine biology, is, is I, don't, I don't see how that makes sense. So when we talk about feminine biology, again, we're talking about science. So we're talking about a person's sex organs and their ability to produce milk, 
withhold and grow a child and nurture it. Mm -hmm. A trans man can do the same thing. No, he can't. How not? A trans man a trans also man has cannot, breasts. A trans man cannot conceive a child. Yet a, a trans man cannot... Wait no. a minute, wait a minute, Jimmy. Do you know they what a trans man is? Do you know surgery. what a trans man is? A trans man is someone whose sex assigned at birth oh, was you're female. About, you're talking about, okay, 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 I get you. I and get you. they identify as saying. a man. I thought you were talking about somebody who... Okay. No, that would be I a trans you. woman. Okay. A trans man, because of his biology, can conceive a child. Mm -hmm. Can birth it, can nurture it, can carry it, can breastfeed it. And he's a man. I don't know. I feel like the hang-up is that uh, uh, it's taking it. It it almost almost needed a new word for what it is. You know what I mean? Because it's so many people see gender and just see it as a binary thing. Uh, I feel like you could just leave it at that instead of having to introduce the well. I'm biologically a man, but then my gender is this. You could just see. I guess say I'm a man, but my I don't I'm not good at naming things on the spot. I mean, but I'm like this, but my this is that. You know what I mean? I, I think know. that really <clears throat> the biology of a person doesn't necessarily matter. The social transaction in which we well, recognize think, people is like with their gender. I we think see for, men I think I saw or I heard about it maybe from you, but it was like a study where. Uh, People who identified with as a man typically had more percentage of gray matter, mm -hmm. and people who identified as women, regardless of if they're born as biologically a man or a woman, mm -hmm. they had more white matter in their brain. Sure. I think, okay, I guess, okay. I see what you're saying that, yes, uh, in theory, someone who is trans, someone who's a woman who is trans man can also fulfill the roles of the female role. At the same time, you're kind of saying that it's a coincidence that women are biologically constructed to perform those roles, and you're saying it's a complete coincidence that these, that these women have those abilities, that it's not having anything to do with anything other than a societal construction? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I'm saying that the ability to have children is purely and merely biological. Yes. And it stops there. But but you don't think that there's any brain chemistry or anything else that goes along with the ability? I mean, there's, there's clearly biological chemistry that directs, you know, there's certainly, look, to deny that women and men have different brain chemistries and, 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 and look... Obviously, like Eric was talking about, he was citing an experiment that we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. which was that um, people who, and again, this is, this is me conceding, well, not conceding because I've never said it wasn't the case, that people who are trans male or trans whatever, they actually do. It's not, it's, I mean, there's certain people who are ignorant enough to suggest that it's literally just a dude who thinks he's a guy. Or I mean, a, a dude who thinks he's a girl, or a girl who thinks he's a chick. Mm -hmm. It's not that simple. There is there is a biological background for that. People who are trans female or trans male have a different brain chemistry that they've studied, or at least they've observed in a significant amount. I don't necessarily agree with that. 
I think that the study that Eric cited was talking about gray matter and white matter. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that had any implications on how gender is performed in our society, number one. Number two, there could be some behavioral science implications for that study. So because of the way that men and women interact with the world, we know that the brain changes over time based on your surroundings, that the brain you're born with is and also is the brain you die with. And so there also could be other, again, societal implications for why someone who's a woman would have a different brain than a man. Why is it that, that when you look at the rest of the animal kingdom, they all seem to follow suit in this same construction, social construction that you're talking about? What do you mean? As in the males fill a certain role and the women fill a certain role. And it's entirely biological. And nobody would... I mean, when you talk about... I mean, and, and yes, granted, males in different animal kingdoms or whatever fulfill a certain different role that might be different from the role that males in the human kingdom sure. fulfill. However, it is observed that it seems to be that no matter what gender you are in a certain animal kingdom or a certain species... They all seem to perform those same. I guess what I guess what I'm trying to tackle here is, you're saying that all the gender roles and everything like that is entirely social. Social. Yes. And, and there's he's no also saying that they still exist, but it's just not limited to if you're born a male or female. Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't say it's limited. I wouldn't say it's limited. Obviously, it's not limited. I'm not saying it's limited, but to say it's completely disconnected. Is it, again? That's that's where I have to say, nah, come on. You're gonna say it's disconnected. You're gonna disconnected. say you're gonna say that 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 the roles that a that the 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 gender roles that a male and female perform are completely irrelevant of their biological background. Yeah, absolutely. I think that also you know things that I've read, which you know we're citing all types of stuff that <laughs> we can put the bibliography in the comments. Um, but really, there there are no large significant distinctions in biology and brain chemistry than men and women. Really, is not. Well, I mean, there's only there's only like a point three percent difference between a man and a chimpanzee. It doesn't mean we're not different. I mean, yeah, but I mean, those 0.3 differences that exist are, you know, within the DNA and the genes, and we're not, we're not trying to get too much into science here, mm. but there's certainly difference between a genotype and a phenotype, right? And a sure. phenotype is what we see, and a genotype is what we don't. And the 0.3 difference between a human and a chimpanzee, obviously, is the phenotype. So whether or not our brains or our bodies are 99.3% similar, that 0.7 is a hell of a lot, right? Because I look like a human and not a chimpanzee. So <laughs> those differences, in fact, are very significant. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying it's completely disconnected. I'm saying that, I'm not saying that it's completely like, if you're a man, you're definitely a man. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that like, if you were born a biological male, then there's no possible way you could identify as the, what do you call it, phenotype or whatever. Not phenotype. Phenotype is physiology. You, you couldn't perceive yourself as a female. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that when you look, I mean, from a statistical standpoint, when you look at, okay, 99.7% of people who are born biologically male mm -hmm. identify as male, 
How can you say that's not a connection? And also, how do you know that that's what the percentage is? There's a large percentage of people who are born transgender that never disclose their gender identity. Possibly. So it actually could be a lot less of a percentage than that, but you would never know because our society isn't safe enough for transgender people to exist. I guess, man. I guess. That's true. I guess that's. I mean, I guess that's a, a possibility. I don't. I mean, I'm. I'm looking around. I'm looking around for examples throughout the animal kingdom that demonstrate that that humans could be that much different. And I'm just not finding it. I'm not seeing it. Well, what's different is humans are, you know, sentient social beings that construct things like society and language. Yeah, but that comes from a biological standpoint. Like before, we were social and sentient. We were creatures. Sure, but what made us social? I don't know. Apparently, the ability to make up shit. I don't necessity, know. Necessity, you know, interaction, language, the need to communicate, and those things aren't scientific. But does that discount what was there before? No, that's just where folks came from. Do I think they were transgender cavemen? Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> of course they were. There's probably transgender chimpanzees, yeah. transgender dolphins, all Definitely, kinds of shit. For sure. Doesn't mean I don't know. It just it just seems. I guess. Look again. I got. I guess I'm coming at it from a standpoint. It's like, dude. You're going to, I guess, it's just very hard of a thing to digest that you're, I guess you're trying to say it has nothing to do with anything. And, just, and also, let's go with your thing. Let's say that it's true that 99% of people who are born biologically male identify as male. Well, that's the statistic I looked up. If let's it, just say if it's if true. We could, we could say that it's not a thing because yeah. there might be people that lied, but I'm just going with what evidence is there for me well let's just say that's true you're going with right? what evidence is there for you to yeah say but i think that most people probably would say that like yeah there are probably about 99 percent of cisgender people around and cisgender is probably someone yeah, who's sounds not about transgender. right but even if you conclude that i don't there's nothing else that i can latch on to that argument so like just because 99 percent of people are cisgender that doesn't really have anything to do with the one percent of people who aren't. Of course not. Right. But that doesn't make the, the that doesn't make the the point three percent of people as if to say that that discounts the norm. What do you mean by discounts the norm? I mean to say if we can find if we can find point one percent of people or point three percent of people that don't conform with the thing that we've said mm -hmm. that doesn't discount the norm. Like if we if we could find point three percent of people that are born with six fingers, it doesn't mean that the human being is born with five fingers. For instance, one in 68 babies born in America is born autistic. Mm -hmm. That's three times the amount of babies... Well, again, this is another thing. That's three times the amount of people in America that identify as transgender. But mm -hmm. we, still, we still say that, yeah, well, being autistic is like, that's not the norm. That's not the typical thing. That's mm -hmm. not the typical thing to be... I don't think anyone is saying that being transgender is the typical thing. It's not. Sure. It's just not. It simply isn't. But we just believe that the people who are should be respected just as much as the people who are I aren't. believe that too. Right. I believe that too. Yeah. I believe that too. I'm not saying that I don't believe that. Right. I'm just saying there, there comes a difference between saying that like, yeah, they should be respected for who they are versus like, no, all your, all your ideologies about... What gender is is completely wrong because there's 0.3% of our society who don't conform to it. Well, I don't think that we're saying that it's completely wrong. We're just saying that. Well, that's kind of what you're saying. You're kind of saying that. You're kind of saying that. No, there's no biological backing to suggest that that human beings, their biological sex has anything to do 
with their gender identification, when you say that, mm-hmm. that's the that's the consent that's the consensus of current science is that is no. it? the consensus of current science is that there is a there is a connection between biological sex and gender. That's what you're saying. Yes. I don't know what science <laughs> that is. <laughs> I think that like. I really don't know what science that is. I think that anyone who is a competent medical professional would able to make the distinction between somebody's biology and their gender identity. Sure. They should be able to understand gender identity as what it is, as, not, as an identity. Um, and a high percentage that are people who are born with male chromosomes uh, identify as male, sure. And a high percentage of people who I, you know, are born with female chromosomes identify as female, Sure. Um, but that isn't to say that it is not true that gender identity is just an d- identity and biology is something completely different from that. It, they just are not the same. They're not the same. I will hand you that. They and I will say that like when you mentioned dis- gender dysphoria and so th- and these things, these are ways for systems and peoples to apply um, pathology to being a transgender person. Like, there has to be something wrong with you. I'm not saying this is what you're saying. I'm saying that, you know, homosexuality was in the DSM until, what, 1979? Something like that. Um, and so, finally, we realized that that, in fact, wasn't true because it was commonly held science that somebody who identified as homosexual had a mental disorder. Um, and I think today we're now understanding similar things about gender identity and biology and that maybe forever we thought they were linked but in fact they just aren't i think there is i mean what's the definition of a mental disorder the definition of a mental disorder um i don't know a condition that somebody has that possibly inhibits their normal development as a person would that not constitute gender dysphoria no, not at all. I think that there are plenty of transgender people who live normal, healthy, fulfilling lives. And the fact that somebody is transgender doesn't mean that they have a disorder. Well, I mean, there's plenty of people who are autistic or have ADHD or have Down syndrome or anything else that live perfectly healthy, fulfilling yeah, lives. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't I think, well, even I think diagnose. The, I think the purpose of the DSM is just so that whatever, anything, like anything, like and. No matter the person, they never want to think that they're abnormal. You know what I mean? Like, I would never want to go get, like, tested for, like, any fucking, like, ADHD thing or anything. Just because <laughs> I'm like, I'm good how I am. I don't want to, like, get on any pills or anything to, like, slow right. me down. Or, like, I don't want to have to be, like, Jimmy was talking about it last week, but, like, having to have a cup of coffee every morning to get out of bed. You know what yeah. I mean? I never want to have to be like that. So I'm fine how I am right now. I've been doing good. I've been getting by. Uh, but I'm sure I'm fucked up in some sort of way. <laughs> I just don't acknowledge it. But it's just easier to acknowledge it for someone. It sounds terrible coming well, out. But no, like you can understand. Like There's a positive see. side to gender dysphoria in the mm-hmm. DSM. And let me tell you what the positive side is. It's unfortunate. But the positive side is that transgender folks are able to be prescribed hormone therapy and undergo surgical procedures if they wish because yeah, with we health know insurance, right? not everybody wants to do that but in order for that to happen there has to be a diagnosable condition right and so 
the fact that gender dysphoria is in the DSM gives access for transgender folks to navigate large medical systems in order to get the treatment that they need to feel like, you know, full, complete people in the way that they want. So where... Then it, it's kind of treated the same way as, like, depression then, which is in the DSM is too. You get the treatment, so then you don't have to have anything... Once you have the treatment, you're not conflicted with that state of illness anymore because you are your complete being. And and but the thing is, I mean, I, I agree with that, but there is, a, I think, a little bit difference. And I think you would also agree that there's a difference between depression and being transgender, right? Oh, for sure. Because yeah, someone I, who just, is you know. given depression is then that's a lifelong diagnosis. And even mm-hmm. though you are able to manage it and treat it in such a way where it doesn't affect your life you know, remnants of having depression will always be there. Wouldn't that be the same case for transsexuals too? or Transgender folks. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, for transgender people, I think that, I mean, if we think about what depression does to the brain and the body, right? And those things are completely and scientifically shown to be degenerative to people's brain and their physical health. That's not the same for gender dysphoria. The only thing that you need to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria is that you believe that you are not in the body in which you should be. And so transgender people don't really suffer the same degenerative effects of something like depression because it's not the same type of disorder that like literally cripples you know, your body, your health, and your brain. Um, and so I think it's a bit silly for it to be seen as a disorder um, but at the same time, unfortunately, today it's necessary. I think it's kind of I think it's kind of uh, uh, a little bit demeaning to those who have mental disorders to have that oh, to have people so vehemently oppose that as being a m- mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that like okay, like you could be you could be you could be you could have suffer from depression. You could suffer from all. You could suffer from OCD. You could suffer from autism. You could suffer from ADHD. These are all things that are acknowledged to be mental disorders of some sort. Yeah. And to to imply that well, like how could you possibly how could you possibly imply that I have a mental disorder because I'm I I, I don't know. It's I see it's, what you're trying to say. It's like it's like it's almost like we're not saying it's a bad thing. We're not saying it's a bad thing to to suffer from. I will say suffer, but it doesn't have to be a suffering thing. I don't consider myself to suffer from ADHD. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it's probably the whole reason why we have this fucking podcast in the first place. But at the end of the day, it's like I acknowledge that it doesn't. I don't know. It just doesn't. It doesn't like. It just seems. It just seems. It just seems very, not. It does. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I would love to see if you could send me. If you could send me something after the podcast, or send me some message me or comment or something like that, that could convince me that there's nothing. There's nothing related between gender and biological sex. Then I would. I would. I would say okay, fine. I don't know, but I haven't. I don't know if there's anything that supports that. And there's nothing wrong if that's not the case. I'm not. That's my whole point. Isn't that like, well, if you can't prove that there's nothing connected, then that means that everybody who's saying this shit is faking it. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. just saying it's like saying everybody who's gay is faking it. Everybody who's fucking autistic is fake. Like, no, yeah. there's there's legitimate cause behind this, but it just it just seems dishonest to me to then to kind of purport this narrative that. They're completely disconnected because that changes the whole foundation of the society that we've built. 
And I don't, I, I, and I know what your thinking is. I know what your thinking is that, well, the society that we built is corrupt and, and biased towards this, that, the other thing. And, and my whole question is, somebody, somebody at some, when, you, when it comes to the patriarchy, when it comes to the patriarchy of men and women, there's nobody along the course of history that's decided decided and it was a big mass coincidence across the entire human race that women fulfilled and that women had this that there's that women fulfilled these type of roles and men fulfilled these type of roles it's not it, there's is a biological background for that there most certainly is there most certainly is a biological background for that and to say that there isn't just seems kind of like uh, it doesn't yeah i'd I say that there was and i'd say that the the reason that we think about gender roles and gender expectations is purely social and purely because of how societies were built and constructed and because men in their broad shoulders and deep voices and taller statures for some reason got the idea that they should somehow rule society. But you don't think there was a coincidence that like, hey, women, you have, you know, you're able to conceive children and you're able to raise children off of eating and then feeding them through your breasts, which I can't fucking do. Mm-hmm. You don't think there was a coincidence between them assuming those roles, between men assuming other roles? You just think there was no biological background? No, I think that there's nothing There's nothing to do with that. I know that there are some people who have breasts that identify as men or just as kick-ass. Sure. And there are people who sure. identify as you know, women who don't want to, you know, subscribe to the gender roles that we've prescribed for men at all. And I think that the the gender roles and gender, you know... Um, and therefore, because of those people, it's all wrong. Definitely. Because it started off back then, right? And here we are today. And not only that, it continues to be reinforced, right? There's no work to undo it. And so today, women consistently make 75% of what a man does. Women consistently are harassed and are misportrayed in the media. And women consistently do emotional labor for immature men that think that they know everything and consistently are the victims of abuse. (laughs) Yeah. And so these things consistently, like, are. If there was any work to be done to reverse that, that'd be one thing, but there isn't. There are things that literally hold up these systems. I think there's a certain beauty about that, man, to be honest. About what? About the roles that we play. I really do. I think there is a, I think there is a certain beauty to be, to be admired about the different roles we play. And I think, Mm -hmm. and we talked about this before on the podcast, and I think the major misstep in, in the culture that was built around this whole movement was that we've kind of discounted the importance of those roles being played in society. We've kind of told women that if you're not doing these things, if you're not fulfilling what a man could do, you're not you're not living up to your full potential. As if to say that a woman's role isn't enough or something like that. Mm. That makes any sense. Or I mean concluding that a woman can't do everything that a man can do. Absolutely, you know? of course women she can. Women weren't given opportunities to perform. And more. And more, yeah. Uh, typically more, yeah. but women weren't given the same opportunities to perform the things that men claim to be so good at. You know, yeah. jobs, voting, war, all of those things. We literally placed women in a place of nurturance and domestic work because we didn't believe or want to give up the power that they actually. But why could. wasn't it the other way around? Just coincidence. I think so. And again, I think because of those biological things, like men thinking that they are taller and stronger. We are taller and stronger. 
I don't know. I've met some big women bigger than you, Jimmy. <laughs> okay, any woman's ass. I'm just fucking around. Oh, I'm just fucking around. Come on, man. You gotta, you gotta admit something. You gotta give me something. I no. mean, it's not just us thinking we're bigger and stronger. Like, there's no women in the NFL. There's no like. There's a women. Why is there no women in the NFL? Is it because, because they that can't whip? compete? Ah, see. Ah, there come you go. on, man. There you go. Come. Oh, yeah. give me a fucking break. I bet break. if we let women in the NFL, they'd show all you men. No, they yeah. wouldn't. Oh, they no, they wouldn't. Are there no, any women wouldn't. that look like Ray Rice, though? Are there really? No. I'm sure they're out there. Okay. I'm no. sure they're no. out there. And if they are, they're doing male hormones. Nope. nope. Yes. I don't believe Absolutely. That at all. Come on, Jabari. Nope. I ah. think, again, that's like men, me men right in now, their dude. old men shit. That's really all that is. That's why women aren't allowed in the NFL because they'd probably you run you men up kid, and down the court. Look, when you see like a ten-year-old with a black belt, are you intimidated by him? Absolutely. Absolutely. They have a black belt. Are you serious? If they found a woman, if they found a woman who could run a, if they found a woman who could run a four-one forty, bench press three hundred and forty-five pounds. That bitch would be in the NFL. That's not true. Yes, she would. Because, because they would make money off of her, and that's the end of the day. It's oh, capitalism. Money. Oof. That's you're saying it all comes down to that. Oh, I'm saying gosh. I agree. I'm saying yes, absolutely. They would make money off of that shit, and therefore nobody's gonna say, first of all, if you're an NFL team, having the first woman in the NFL is a major marketing it major marketing advancement. Yeah. Do you know how much money the first team there's a woman who's coming up right now? Who is uh, a kicker? Mm-hmm. I, I I forgot what college she's from, but I've she's 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 fitting to be the first female NFL player ever because she's a kicker. Yep. Least physical job in the NFL. Just saying. Oh my god. Just saying. Misogyny Could, might be a coincidence. <laughs> Probably a coincidence. I'm gonna say it's coincidence. I'm Definitely gonna say a coincidence. it's misogyny, but okay. Definitely a coincidence. Definitely also, a coincidence. At the same time, how much of America would be okay with? Just watching someone's daughter get fucking tackled by two people at the same time. They would be fine with it because, again, the reason why we think that image is so heart-wrenching is because of societal ideas. That's it. Dog. If we looked at people's daughters the same way we looked at people's sons, it would not matter. Dog, there are absolutely differences. I think it sounds good for you because you benefit from those differences. I don't benefit from shit, dude. I'm a fucking guy. I definitely benefit from shit. But I'm saying, like, me saying that, yeah, men are stronger, women are better at this, men are better at this, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. And to say that it's not true, that, oh, actually, it's just, it's just, it's just not, it's not real. What you're saying isn't real. All right. Well, again, you have your beliefs and I have mine. Uh. And- that's where we will agree, but I believe that that is not true, and women have every ability, opportunity, biology, everything to do every single thing a man can do, and more and better, and men just should get over themselves. Mm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh. Hey. <laughs> All right. Masculinity is so I fragile. wraps it up. <laughs> You wanna? I don't. I don't want to keep you here too long. It's getting late. It is. How long has this been? This is a, a We've great. We've been going for a while. Yeah. But um, I want to let you. You know, plug anything you want to plug. Obviously. Sure. I mean, so I'm the, the director. More like of... plug anything you want to fuck, yeah, bro. For sure. <laughs> Definitely that. Definitely that. Um, so yeah, I'm the director of Glisten Baltimore. That's G L S E N Baltimore. Um, if you. 
uh, are connected to a school or connected to a young person who needs help and resources around making your environment safer for LGBT folks, hit us up. Uh, www.glistenbaltimore.org. You can find us on our Facebook page. Um, again, I also mentioned that I'm involved with the GLCCB, Baltimore's LGBT Community Center. That's glccb.org. Um, so get involved with us, Baltimore Pride, um, or any LGBT issues really in general. You can get in touch with me. But I thank you guys for this opportunity. Dude, this, this was great. awesome. A Thanks really so much great for coming through. Absolutely. Another High Lives, Newports, and great conversation. I could do that every Thursday. Yeah. Hell yeah. For real. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, thank you. Guys. Anytime, Absolutely. dude. Thank you so Whenever. much. Whenever. Whenever you want. Absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. Eric, what do you got to? What's the Baltimore Comedy Festival doing this week? Uh, open submissions till uh, July 15th. We're getting, you know, people coming in from all over the place, it seems. And we're still Ooh. talking to uh, some big, big guns to come down and uh, do some headline spots for some of the. The big shows. We just added um, Eggs of the Art Space. Uh, we added, uh, I think we have like 13 venues now for the whole festival. Wow. Um, so, you know, keep an eye out for that. We're going to have a booth at Artscape. Uh, you know, come by, say hi. And check out The Darkest. Check out uh, me on everything at Eric Glazer. At LFTS Podcast on everything. Jimmy, what you got? Guys, that's Jimmy Selesky, Twitter. And uh, be sure to check out Laughable. Laughable, shout out to my man, Ned McKinney, the man, the man the with the plan. He's the boy. Laughable is coming out on... Ned, where's uh, the Android app? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've yeah, been yeah. saying it's coming. We've been saying it's coming, In Ned. The summer. You're making me look <laughs> stupid right now. You're making me look but real stupid. Check out Laughable stupid. on iTunes. It's a great app. Uh, you can check out all your favorite podcasts. And it'll index everyone on each episode so you can see, uh, you know, what a, whatever other podcasts are You can on. search by comic. What a revelation. revelation. What a revelation. Follow me and Jimmy on Laughable and see the one other podcast I'm on. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Guys, at LFTS Podcast on everything. SoundCloud, Google Play, Twitter, Facebook. All the other things you can think of. Instagram. That's a good one. We're on it. We're on it. Oh, Guys. Yeah. Stitcher. Till next week. And remember. 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 Remember that I don't plan my playouts efficiently. <laughs> <laughs> remember that. All right, Jack. There you go. There's Jack. Hey, it's always better when we're together. There's no combination of words I could put on the back of a postcard No song that I could sing but I can try for your heart Our dreams and they are made out of real things Like a shoebox of photographs with sepia tone love Love is the answer at least for most of the questions of my heart